Before we start today's episode of Zillennial Canon, we just wanted to let you know that there's a link in our description to some friends of the pod, including Adam's second podcast, Aggressively Okay, that he hosts with Joe, Back to Back, Seltzer Cast, and a few others that we know you'll enjoy. Thanks for supporting us, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Everybody, welcome back to the not so distant future. This is Millennial Canon. I'm Kira, and I'm Adam. And I gotta say, after that article that was posted the other day, this movie depressed me even more than it probably already would have. Um, what article? Wait, hold on. Okay, before we get into the article, um, this is the first episode in which Adam and I have never seen this the movie that we are covering before. Um, we have a guest who brought this film to us. The wonderful Joe Koski. Welcome, Joe. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so, first of all, Adam, what article? Um, the article that basically said that, like, oh, if we don't, the whole climate change thing, where it's like 30 years. Oh, uh, okay. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the third act of this movie happens, and I'm like, yeah, dope. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so, I, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> what memories do you have with AI, artificial intelligence? So, it's been, this film has been with me for so long. I've always been a huge Spielberg fan. Um, E.T. in particular is, like, the film that got me into cinema. Like, it was, I remember seeing it, and I'm just like, oh my god, I love movies. And it was like, it was my Star Wars. And for, you know, and with this film, I remember when it came out, because I remember seeing the ads for it. My parents used to tape Survivor on VHS, and uh, I remember seeing the ads for this. Specifically, there's this one shot in the film with this uh, robotic nanny that her face, you see, or she comes to the camera and she turns and you only see half of her face. And that image stuck with me for so long. I remember like 10 years later, I was at the Atlanta airport. I think we were, I don't remember where we were going. Um, and I saw that film and I was like, oh, okay, I know. And then I couldn't get it. But then long story conclusion here, um, when Blockbuster was closing up uh, 2013, I think, I saw this DVD at there and I was like, I have to get this. Uh, it's a destiny. And I remember the TV spots for it. They're on YouTube. And I was like, I know this. Yeah, it's this. And it immediately became like a very personal, deeply felt film for me. Like just, it meant like few films. Like I would say, I was talking with someone the other day, like, Oh, what would be your favorite film? And this is like in the top four, five, maybe even number one, it goes back and forth, but it's it's very personal. Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting because even though, like, Adam and I don't have, like, really, I mean, like, not for Adam, um, but even though, like, I don't personally have memories with this, I feel like I still consider it Zillennial Canon because it's, like, 
I feel like 2000s Spielberg is like a very specific like aesthetic and oh, like absolutely. I feel like Spielberg is like like this is like the first time we're covering Spielberg obviously um I feel like he's usually people's introduction into liking movies like whether you realize it or not <laughs> mm-hmm. like literally like I'm always like not to sound basic but literally like Jaws was like what got me into movies because I just had like an amazing teacher that showed Jaws in a class and um, like it's still like one of like every time I watch it I'm like oh yeah there's a reason why this is the best movie ever made like oh yeah Absolutely. And there's a reason why he's the best person in the whole world. <laughs> like, but well, like, yeah. I saw, I remember seeing E.T. because this is around the same time E.T. had its 20th anniversary, and they uh, re-released it. I think it was spring 2002, and I was remember seeing that in theaters, and I was just another like, oh yeah, like I love, I love movies. <laughs> it was like that kind of moment, and I remember I saw it at, um, prior to that, but it was just he's always been very special to me. Like I. It's big in a Jurassic Park. Close Encounters was a big one for me too. But this one in particular, this and E.T. are like a duo. Like they really kind of connect in you know specific ways. I think both of them feel are very operatic to me. Um, yeah. Which is very deeply emotional. Um, but yeah, I'm getting into that in a little bit. But um, yeah, it's just yeah, I. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to handle, especially on the first viewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I felt when um it ended today, because I was like, after like the first viewing concludes, and you're sitting there with all your thoughts, you're like, am oh, I yeah. equipped to talk about this tonight? Like, oh, am yeah. I am I? Because <laughs> I feel like this movie is just. I, I mean, I was genuinely blown away by it, and um, not often on the pod do I say that uh, on the spot? I don't, because we're just talking about like Big Fat Liar or like... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so when I got, when I saw this, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to like articulate and actually talk about a good movie again. And yeah. Like, like you said, uh, especially now, it has this eerie undertone. I was thinking about it. Um, you know, it's it's a film where I, where I said it was personal. It's I have both two very strong comforting me feelings to this movie but also very dreadful films feelings to this movie i could get in that a little bit but i was just thinking this is such a i read this article today about this guy who was killed on 9-11 and i just think of this movie as such a pre and post 9-11 movie it's in this like mm. weird plane of being you know the twin towers appear in it you know this mm-hmm. was like right before mm-hmm. the film this was june 2001 so months, a couple months before, and it just feels like there's this dread of like, you know, you know, you knowing, especially with the climate change talk you brought up and yeah. how, you know, we don't, you know, you don't know where we're going, but also, yeah, I don't want to go into full spoilers yet, but it's just like, it has this eeriness to it that I just find both fascinating and you know, like you said, comforting. It's it's a weird vibe, but I love yeah. it so much. Well, um, and I know when you bring it up, like when you say eeriness, this isn't, I mean, that's not what you're talking about, like the climate change thing, but something I loved about it, especially this being my initial viewing of the movie, um, I thought like the, uh, the build, like the first act where I didn't know if I was supposed to be like scared or like 
you know, enlightened or like, um, like heartwarmed by the situation. Like it just, it, it walks this like really beautiful line of like, I don't know what I'm feeling right now. Like I feel disturbed and haunted, but like also kind of just mesmerized by the entire thing. Like, um, I think that's like some of the best cinematography of his entire career. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And lighting, like especially the lighting, I feel like, oh, and okay. the production design. It brings me to the, because uh, as I was saying, uh, I talked to Kira before, uh, I listened to you guys' Moulin Rouge episode, another film that's very important to me. And uh, I'm so sorry, by the way. There's two differences here, because that film I always think of as being like, the definition of if watching, I feel like there's few movies that capture the the thrill of watching a Broadway show. Mm. It's that film, I always feel like it's electric, it, but also both of them feel are very different in how they treat love. And I mean, obviously, but what I was going to say is 2001 in film, I just find immensely fascinating, especially, you know, you guys covered Josie and the Pussycats, another one I really love, but there's certain images in that that reminded me of the blown out kind of, white scene sequences in this film because the there's a uh, certain shots like uh the, the cinematography is as blown out and you know um white as, <laughs> as this film gets especially in yeah. the last half hour but uh, i just I find it really interesting <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like uh, sorry no, go ahead. No, go ahead. no i was talking to um i was talking to sean about it uh, two days ago or something and I was talking about how I was watching AI to talk about it with you and I was like yeah I'm pretty sure Joe's just like obsessed with like 2001 like oh, I yeah. feel like that's like perfect for Zanio Cannon to be here 2001 yeah. in film and it's funny that you brought up Moulin Rouge because when I was watching this like not to jump ahead but the moment when the tone shifts when he goes into the fair, um, I was immediately and like when he goes into like the city and they show like Jude Law, I was like, I understand why Joe loves this movie. <laughs> really? I was like, it's like if like the Wachowskis made like Moulin Rouge and also like yeah. like I don't I I couldn't even put my finger on it, but I was like, I understand why oh, you yeah. like it so much because it just feels like all the aesthetics of the 2000s and stuff just like put together. <laughs> well, there's an article that came out because this film just turned 20 uh, mm-hmm. this past June, and an article came out that um, when they enter Rouge City, speaking of, uh, they enter Rouge City, which is this, you know, very sexual, like, you know, uh, you could say, like, kind of pornographic lustful city you know where that's all everyone does is just have sex but in that the entrance there was an art in this article they said that spielberg wanted to have a musical sequence in which jude law oh just starts God. singing with Haley joel's just behind like i don't know what's going on <laughs> as an entrance and i just thought that was just kind of like oh yeah now spielberg's actually making his musical that comes out this year yeah <laughs> And as anybody that knows me knows that I already know that the musical is going to be fantastic because I personally think that the opening musical number of the second Indiana Jones movie is one of the most well-directed scenes ever made. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, the the Temple of (laughs) Doom opening is like an absolute all-timer. So 
I mean, I, having just seen this movie for the first time today, I'm not completely like well versed in this topic. But Joe, do you know a lot about like the whole like where Kubrick ends and Spielberg begins angle of this? So I was I've prepared myself for this because okay, it's awesome. <laughs> well, so it's a lot, and I'm not going to be able to cover all of it. But there's so much information about it. But so I was going to ask if you knew the history because this is his film has had a long, complicated history since it goes back to the the uh, late early 80s uh so spielberg met stanley while he was shooting you know uh, doing looking for shooting locations for raiders and uh stanley was building the sets for ai uh, not AI, but uh, like shining see i'm already mixing them up um so they met they became best friends they would talk all the time on the phone for hours and you know talk about you know what films are coming out you know there's a really interesting video that's like a 30 minute uh, thing around the time uh, AI was coming out called Steven and Stanley on YouTube and it's from like yeah it's, it's like you know British it's um but it goes into detail about how Steven saw it as a teach this as a teacher uh, student teacher relationship but Stanley saw it as more of a peer relationship you know he never wanted to you know uh, every time you know Steven was like oh I loved you know your work on 2001 and Stanley was like, stop it. We're not going to talk about, you know, I don't want you to idolize me. But they would talk, you know, for hours on end. And then one day, uh, Stanley brought up to Spielberg, I read the short story, which is called Super Toys Last All Summer Long by Brian Olis, which is the film. This is what this is based on. He said, I want to make a film out of it. And so then Spielberg was like, oh, okay. And he was like, I want you to read this. Have you ever heard of Brian Aldis? And he's like, I've never heard of this. I've never heard of this. And then Stanley was like, how have you never heard of Brian Aldis? And so Spielberg said he read it and they talked about it and then didn't talk again for a couple of years. And then after that, a couple of years later, uh, Stanley was like, I have all these uh uh, storyboards. Uh, he and he and this artist Chris Baker made storyboards uh, for for the film. And so after that, they met up, and uh, Stanley was like, "I want you to direct this film because I feel like this has more of your sensibilities, and that I don't know if I could do it." Uh, then it, Spielberg was like, "I don't know about that. I think you should make it." And they went back and forth on this for years. And then, you know, after a while, uh, Stanley was like, sure, I'll do it. And he started production. He, the most fascinating thing is that he was so worried about building, he wanted to build his own robot child. Cause he was like, I can't do it, uh, you know? So he, they had, they, <laughs> he built a robot kid. Cause he was like, I can't film well, with the actual kid because it, you know, Eyes Wide Shut took like 12 years to make or whatever, or like seven years. He was like, the kid would age. So they built this robot. It looked horrible. This was in the, in the early 90s. This was like around the time Jurassic Park came out. Stanley was like, I'm, I could do this. And it was horrible. He hired, he hired Chris Cunningham, who did the Bjork video for All, of, All is Full of Love. And it's, you know, very kind of, and it looks kind of, you know, robot, like white face, kind of robotic-ish. It's an interesting video. But it was a disaster. And then they were, he put it back on hold and went to do Ice Wide Shut, and then he died. Yeah. Um, and then Spielberg was like, I, you know, his widow came up to him and was like, you have to do this movie or this movie will never see the light of day. 
and he took it upon himself to make it in honor of his friend. And he wrote the screenplay from a treatment uh, Ian Watson did of the of the film. Uh, and you know, and he had multiple people go over the script over the years. One of them being uh, the author of 2001, the novel, and uh, the, that. And he said that it was so bad. He said to him, "I, I don't want to. I don't want." He threw that whole script out. The 2001 author, um, Arthur, Arthur blanket on his name, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So he wrote. Spielberg wrote the screenplay. It was his first screenplay since. Uh, Close Encounters. Uh, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's a, he used the uh, Ian Watson script uh, uh, treatment and uh, made the film. And it's just a very personal, like, two-hander. You know, he used all the storyboards that Chris Baker did and the script. And, uh, you know, the storyboards are fascinating. There's this book that actually I have. It's called... Uh, AI, Artificial Intelligence, from Stanley Kubrick to Steven Spielberg, a vision behind the film. Wow. And it's a very fascinating look at, you know, just all the storyboards and, you know, everything just comes to life if you look yeah. at it. I mean, so many things were dropped over the years, but I think the film that came out about with it, it's just incredible. Um, I'm extremely, like, gullible, so this may not be true. Um, but when I read about it online after the movie today, um, I saw that, or I read that, like, uh, Kubrick actually recorded, or, like, Robin Williams recorded with Kubrick for his brief scene before he yes. died. Yeah, uh, I believe, because there's, like, five cameos, of uh, celebrity cameos in this. I don't know if you caught them all. <laughs> um, yeah, what, it was Chris Rock, Meryl Streep, um... Robin Williams. Yes. Yeah, and, um... I can't think of the other ones. I, I mean, I know the guy from Entourage is in it, but I don't know if you're considering. No, him. yeah, the, he's he's okay. kind of the, the second. Yeah, he, he's like, I, I always like look at him. I'm like, oh yeah, I forget he's in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, Ben Kingsley is the narrator and the um, archivist. Ah, gotcha. Which um, he's also good, but you know, like especially Robin Williams for certain was. Uh, he film he was yeah his lines were recorded years before the film was started production. Kubrick directed him. That's those. awesome. And I just it's just it's just fascinating to see these little like you know details in the film and. Gotcha. Yeah, when I was watching it, like really all the sentimental scenes, like I was like, this is so insanely like Spielberg, and I feel like you could really tell like where their influences kind of blended. But then yeah. I'm like reading, I like I have like a quote. Um, in 2002, Spielberg told a critic that like really it's like the opposite, like like Kubrick kind of had like the more sentimental scenes like yes. written in basically and like that was like all his ideas and stuff and like the rest was Spielberg so oh, I think that's yeah. like extremely interesting yeah. how two like styles played off of each other the, the the whole ending the last 20 minutes is all in Kubrick's treatment and that was Spielberg didn't do anything to the ending. And that's the thing that people back when it came out were like, oh, this is so Spielberg. This is so like this cheesy. It's lame. But it's it's all him. It's like and that's why I believe he was like, I can't make this. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I um I also read another thing today about like um their relationship between Kubrick and Spielberg. And again, it, none of us were like around, so we can't say for certain. Yeah. But like something I read that I thought was like really endearing and interesting was that like Kubrick was kind of envious of Spielberg's like his magic of like being able to make a movie for everybody. Like yeah. he has that sense of like movie magic where he has um he knows he's into it with emotion. And not to say Kubrick's not, but it's definitely different directors, like entirely oh, different yeah. directors. And then, yeah. um, but also Spielberg on the other side was like deeply influenced by Spielberg, but for like the other reasons, the way he was just so, uh, I mean, he was just so Kubrick. I don't, I don't want to put a label on Kubrick. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, and I think that's fascinating. And then I don't want to get like too deep or anything, but I think this is really the perfect movie if you're going to try to, have one director who was friends with the other director who was going to make this movie make kind of like a hybrid movie almost where it feels like a shell of something else. And that's not derogatory at all. It's just, it feels like um, emulation, but like in a beautiful, like an homage like in a really beautiful way, but in a way that also doesn't compromise his own style. Like it's really fascinating. And for a movie all about like identity and like self and, to have a movie, I don't want to say have an identity crisis, but go through all those troubles and everything. It's just, it's really fascinating. And I can't think of a better movie for this kind of scenario to happen with. It's, they bring it up in that YouTube video I just mentioned. He, he says that I, when I made this, I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to slave over Kubrick's, you know, materials. I wanted to add my own touches. Yeah. And he says that um, a lot of the flesh fair sequences um, he added because there wasn't a whole lot of information there, and he. But what he found was that it looked like a Holocaust, like you know, you know, it mm. looked like the Holocaust. And he's put his own, especially I'm sure after Schindler's List, he put his own touches in there. But he, there's also like you know, he took out a couple things. Uh, I remember him saying that there were some sequences with Jude Law, like some more sex scenes there that he took out. But it really is like a balancing act, you know, and. You know, it's kind of a magic trick. I mean, it's, it's amazing this film works out as well as it does. And it's, you know, I get, I sort of get the the polarizing reaction to it, but I think it's a film that's only aged, like, better. Because yeah. we just don't see something like this often, you know? And it, it reminds me, not to the same degree, but I get a similar, I've, you know, another favorite film of mine is Cloud Atlas, you know? And I just see a lot of, you know, the the way that it touches on you know emotion in both of them not this one's a little more intense but you know and a lot lot less hopeful but it's just yeah it's there's a lot to it (laughs) yeah i well like another thing about this movie was i mean like i said earlier like i didn't know where i was supposed to feel like um like when i was like to have my guard down or when I was supposed to be like in suspense of it all, because like literally this entire time, whenever I was starting to feel things and be like, Oh, this is nice with the family and with, um, mm-hmm. with the kid, it's like, you know, then the other kid comes in or like an incident happens. And like every time I found myself like literally cowering on the couch, like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like I was oh, yeah. so invested in this movie. Like I was, yeah. I was so deeply entranced in it. Um, and again, like, 
the way and also like another thing is sometimes people say this and it's like a derogatory thing but i kind of love it about this this has like 10 different it feels like 10 different movies almost yes in one um but i think that's lovely i think that's really cool in in this book, yeah. they talk about that because, you know, that's a big thing that people criticize. Like, oh, it's messy. But you know, Kubrick has state it states in this book that he deliberately wanted to. He called it mode jerks. As he does that in a lot of his other films, especially 2001. There's that famous edit, 2001, of you know, the bone going to the, the spaceship. And it's, this is a film of that. This is a film of locations just shift, shifting around, you know, and you're supposed to, they say, it says in the book that he wanted to create a continuity of just you fill in the gaps. Yeah. Of, and that's where I feel like, like the world building is so rich and so detailed because of that, you know, and you really fill out what you think would be there. And uh, it just, it, this film is endlessly fascinating to me because you just have these two artists that are both hand in hand working together. And it's just so, beautiful because these two people loved each other so much and this is just like the the highest honor someone could get is to create a film like this yeah um and when i watched this today i realized this is one of the only i want to say three spielberg movies i've never seen before um it, it was this color purple and um empire of the sun that's the third oh, one yeah. that I, empire of the sun's really good yeah, I definitely not movies that I avoided by any means. Um, and oh, part yeah, of some no, movies, especially. Yeah, I do want to see it at some point. Um, probably before West Side Story, because I have a tendency to, like, do that uh, here lately. My, um, uh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, like, but now that, like, when I thought about it today before starting it, I'm like, like, just the on-paper, like, Spielberg takes over from Kubrick. I'm like, why haven't I seen this sooner? Like, that's so innately <laughs> fascinating that, like, I was, like, hitting myself over the head with it, like, earlier. I'm like, why is this my first time watching it? <laughs> this like, also feels, like, not even in, like, a bad way, but this feels very zillennial in the sense of, like, I don't understand how I haven't seen this in, like, a high school science class where a teacher is just like, I don't feel like doing anything today. So they put it on and they're like, right, write yeah. about, like, ethics. <laughs> write about ethics. And everyone's like, I don't even know how to respond to this. Can I copy exactly. your paper? <laughs> People find it really uncomfortable, which I don't blame them, especially how effective Haley Joel is in the beginning of this movie. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and... um. This what I was going to say earlier is that, you know, my big blind sense, I've never seen Private Ryan and I've never seen Munich. You know, those are like the two that are big ones for me. But like this one just, it feels different than his others. It's just, yeah. it's very unique. Um, I do want to, yeah, I did want to uh, ask, you know, like, was there like a uh, like performance? Was like Haley Joel, like you're the big one for you or? Well, there's definitely other ones that I want to tackle, but I feel like Haley Joel is like, I mean, where to even begin with it? Because like, <laughs> I mean, because so much of this pod is about talking about child actors and like, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and them so, being bad usually. <laughs> yeah, and I got to say, like I'm trying to reclaim bad performances. <laughs> literally, literally, um, and. I I gotta say, and I hope I'm not. I, I don't think I'm being a hyperbolic here, but this might just be the best child performance I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, uh, it's genuinely kind of astounding. Like you could have literally given this kid the Oscar that year, 
and it probably would have been worth it. Like that. Yeah. Like I mean, what? He, whoever got the Oscars probably think it was like Russell Crowe. And I'm like, who, who, who cares about a uh, uh, beautiful mind? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, <laughs> it, it's literally like, cause like, I mean, Haley Joel, like Sixth Sense, amazing. Like he, he's a oh, great yeah. shot performer. Like I knew this going in, but even with that in mind, even going into this, I was really not prepared for how good he was. Like, and no one ever really talks about this movie. Like, anytime they talk about him, they talk about, like, his other works. But then you watch this, and I'm like, why is this not the first thing you mention? Because it's mm-hmm. insane what he does in this movie. I will, will correct yeah. myself. It was Denzel that won that year, which I haven't seen Training Day, so I can't say. But I wanted to say that, you know, yeah, I mean, he's amazing in it. Because it's just like, you know, he said, even in interviews at the time on the uh, on the Blu-ray and the DVD, you know, he's so well-spoken and he said that, you know, they put latex or whatever on his face to look more plastic. And, but the thing that he incorporated into the performance that he said, Oh, I need to do this is that he doesn't blink at all in the film. Mm -hmm. Yes. Between, uh, between this and seeing Annette the other day, my emotional connection to like unsettling children um joe have you seen that yet no i really want to i'm um, very much excited for that don't spoil the yeah. end game app no no no. that's why i asked that's and also for the listeners i don't want to like say anything but um what kira brings about a net yeah i was thinking about a net like for a majority of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah that's a great for, great like, bring up no, yeah. then except like a child <laughs> like that's yes. the only reason um <laughs> Yeah, I think, honestly, my favorite performance in this, like, other than Haley Joel Osment, because, like, you guys just basically said all I feel about him, um, but Jude Law, as always, is the most perfect person in the whole world. Shout out to Courtney, host of Back to Back, um, biggest, but I honestly think that he, like, I cannot even describe Jude Law with words like um i think also his chemistry with, um Haley Joel Osment is like insane because they're both like kind of like they are like they're robots so they're acting kind of like robotic and cold but Haley Joel Osment because he can like feel love he like connects himself to like he just needs to be like protected which um the whole thing where he like holds people's hands yeah. um literally destroys me when he says keep me safe yeah. um and Jude Law even though he's kind of like like closed off a little like there's just like something obviously because he's a robot that's just like closed off about him but he's like warmth to him at the same time where he just kind of is like performing all the time and I think that that's incredible I was thinking of you, Kara, because of, you know, he turns his head and he starts playing music. And, you know, I was thinking, I was wondering if you would be the, would be like, oh, you'd be into that. I know the song that plays, but I'm blanking. It's Cole Porter. Got What? It's Cole Porter. He plays Guys and Dolls at one point. Yeah, yeah, Guys and Dolls, too. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of my the my favorite scene with him in this movie um, is that scene where he's like uh, like when he goes to like see the woman and then he finds her like dead in bed and yes. like I don't know why but like his acting that scene where he's like slowly like putting it together that she's dead and like his mannerisms were like they blew me away to some performance level. Like, the way he, like, jolted out of bed. But, like, he thought it was, like, he, she was crying or something, and then he thought it was blood. Yeah. And it's just, it, the way he moves in this movie is, like, I I mean, I don't even know how to comprehend it. Like, it's, he, he's, I mean, Jude Law is always fantastic. Oh, um, yeah. Like, genuinely one of the best performers of our time. But, like, he, in this movie in particular, he does something just completely wild and like another thing that i love is he doesn't come into like the halfway point of this movie like mm-hmm. yeah he's a pretty late addition well i guess not if the movie is as long as it is but like he comes in like an hour in and i love that you just get like this kind of 10 to 15 minute introductory sequence with him where you fully get to know the character and then he goes into the main story that you've been following and i think that's mm-hmm. so cool i have based on Sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. Based on his his performance in this, I have a recommendation. Um, Have you guys seen the remake of Sleuth with him and Michael Caine? No. No, I don't think. Okay. His performance in that is basically, like, kind of, like, a more, like, grounded version of this. And it's literally incredible. Um, It's basically, like, a filmed play in like one house between like him and Michael Caine and I'll I'll recommend it to the audience but like the majority of our audience like we all watched it together multiple times so like <laughs> <laughs> like once a month so yeah I highly recommend Sleuth um similar vibes. yeah I think you would love it honestly similar vibes it's it's such a complicated performance. He and Haley Joel are both like the way they move is so precise, and it's mm-hmm. so especially you know uh, Jude Law is doing like his the way he his he does his dances you know and it's very like is it precise and electric, and you know Haley Joel on the other hand you know similar things but it's all about very on point movements you know and, and you know the way he looks and the way he moves his head, you know, it's very like, like it yeah. feels very robotic and the way he like, you really believe that these two are like, you know, ro- robots and they're, you know, and they, and he gets in the whole idea of like, or do they have a soul or do they, you know, and it's just, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it's mesmerizing. And it just, every time I watch it, it's just few, you know, I think if, you know, people always bring up, you know, later films that deal with, uh, you know, AI, you know, I'm thinking like um, Ex Machina and uh, Blade Runner 2049. And I think those are good films, but I just, nothing really compares to the otherworldly yet grounded at the same time performance of these two. Yeah. And, And, you know, they both feel like you feel like I can, like, I always feel like when I watch it, I'm like, I could talk to these two, for example, but it would feel off at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Like, unlike, yeah. you know, like Ex Machina, on the other hand, it still feels like, oh, they feel like, you know, there's, they don't really talk about the ethics. They, they, they talk about the ethics, but it's more like the, the performances are more standard. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to, uh, like, 
you know, Blade Runner 2049 is like an interesting example because like there's a part of that where it's like Ryan Gosling's entire just his vibe as a performer is already monotone, but like in a very brilliant way, I think. Yeah. And yeah. the way he but also like I like the ambiguity of that performance because the entire question of like whether or not he's actually uh, a replicant is like, oh, okay, like he's like he's not he doesn't move exactly like an AI. But that goes to the mystery, and then, like, he starts stuff questioning. And then, like, so, like, but even Ex Machina that you bring up, like, Alicia McCandler gives an amazing performance to that movie. Yeah, they're all both good performances, but they're different. That's kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, well, even with Alicia McCandler, there's still... And it's not even her fault, but, like, when you're... Because I rewatched it semi-recently. And it still takes me a moment to get in... Not to, to the performance, per se, but get used to, like, her as an AI... Because I've seen so many movies with her in it. And again, it's no fault of her own. But like you're getting used to the performance. You're like, okay, this person is playing an AI. After you're used to that. And by the end, it's fully effective. But literally the moment that uh, Haley Joel Osment pops up on screen this movie, instantly bought it. It took no getting used to. I yeah. immediately was like, that is a robot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I immediately, I immediately bought it. And same thing with Jude Law. Like, I don't know how, I don't know what they did differently. I don't know what it is specifically. Like, I couldn't pin it on one thing. But, like, literally the moment that June Law pops up on screen, like, with um, that woman that he's talking to. By the way, that monologue he's giving up in his first scene is fantastic. So good. <laughs> so good. Um, like, the way she's so, like, shaky and, like, he's just so calm. And, like, the way he just, like, is, like, you've never been with a robot before. Like, it's just... Oh, it's so good. And there's a confidence to them, but also like a isolation. And it's really beautiful. I'm not sure if we should get into spoilers here, but. uh... (laughs) Yeah, I think. Yeah, because I don't. uh, Usually people who listen, they don't. Okay, so I mean, if for some reason you got this far into the pod, you've never seen AI, uh, watch it, come back. Because, I mean, first of all, it's well worth watching if you haven't already been This pod episode is a five-hour process. You need to pause it right now. Yes. <laughs> Two and a half-hour long movie, read about it, and then come back and listen to the rest. Um, take a page out of Adam's book, finish Dune tonight, um, and then go, and then come back and listen to the yeah. pod. Yeah. I uh, wanted to bring up, um, did you guys know at the you guys know that the beings at the end were robots um well i'm an idiot so like i <laughs> didn't know that until after the um because i at the end i was like uh, i'm trying to think of like uh something to compare it to we're like a flash forward and then oh aliens um but i know there's a movie out there like that but i can't think of the name i thought um, they were I thought they were aliens because they literally just kind of look like the Close Encounters yeah. aliens, but like on exactly. Like, yeah. literally just like technology got better, and he's but, like, "I'm about to, I'm about to put my whole ass into this." Yeah, it's, it's a whole thing that people still to this day is you know, still think of him as aliens, and I think the Close Encounter thing really was what did that, but it's. The whole ending being that hu- the human race is is gone after two thousand years, and 
future the future mecha the future robots are looking for their their past just like the beginning of the film you have william hurt who are trying to look for their you know their past as well you know and just how especially and i was going to mention when you talked about when Haley joel came in this the the shadow of him in the uh, the elevator is exactly the same as the, the future mecca and yeah and just like those little details just blow my mind and you know it's a, it's a you know it's a filmmaking th- standard to do that but it's specifically in here where it's connecting the present to the future yeah yeah and, that opening shot yeah. is like like the because like after i uh went back like i um I, I read up on this movie like for like an hour after watching oh it. yeah you go down the and, rabbit hole <laughs> yeah and i saw that and i was like my mind literally was blown like when i saw that because i was like what and but that, it also makes perfect sense like it's not one of those things where you read it like a uh not even a take but like oh that's what that meant and you're kind of like oh okay but like when i read that i'm like oh I'm an idiot. That makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> and it kind of just changes your entire perception on the entire thing. And I love oh, yeah. that. Um, and yeah, like you said, that opening, like that, that, that shot with him, like getting into frame and it's a, like, he looks like an alien at that moment. Like yeah. what a shot, like what, what an amazing oh. shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, oh God. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. But that's, it's a great, um, yeah, that's great. Um, and I wonder how many people still go today thinking the movie ends with aliens. Like, Yeah, I kind of figured that it was just, like, because, like, he was, like, frozen when he woke up. I thought it was just kind of, like, indicating of, like, how, like, the Earth is just kind of, like, I don't know, like, a cycle. And it's, like, the Ice Age happened again. And, like, yeah. I, like... I don't know, like, I feel like for some reason I just associate aliens with, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally like, took it like as, it's like, oh, this is, like, a, the thing moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, in I, ice. This is totally I, a Transformers moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I literally took it as, like, you know, he's been frozen, aliens invade the planet too late, or not even invade, but they come to the planet too late, and they're searching for, like, remnants of a lost species, basically, yes. is what I, the way I interpreted it. And, but, like, also the thing is, like, they are also, even though they are AI, they are very deliberately designed as aliens, so it's like, they are, yes. um, it's interesting that, like, evolution has been, like, so profound that they are completely alien to what a human once was and that's fascinating to me it's really cool and there's that whole line that when jude law is about ready to they they before they go to manhattan he talks about how you know they'll on the one when the end of the world comes the only thing they'll be left is us which ends up being true yeah and i just that's fascinating is you know where I was saying earlier is this film becomes operatic in that, you know, people assume that the film should end at the end when he's praying to the blue fairy. That was a big thing for Spielberg. You know, he's saying, I 
you know, he thought Stanley and they people like, oh, Stanley would have ended it with him just having this irony of praying to the Blue Fairy and not having it come true. But Stanley wanted the whole 2000 year segment. That was all in his, you know, treatment. And I, people still are like, oh, that, that ending is so terrible. It's so mockish. But I'm like, it's exactly, it's basically, it's mirroring 2001's ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's also like a, uh, so, somehow simultaneously, there's like a coldness and a warmth to it at the same exactly. time. Yeah. And, and I, the one thing I really, and I, you're like, you're exactly think, speaking to this point, Joe, where it's like, I feel like often, not even just with Kubrick, but so many directors, um, something I saw recently with like with uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I feel oh, like yeah. people, they very much like, like to box in directors to like this certain like category. Yes. And I know a lot of people were like surprised when the Justice League, like the Snyder Cut, was actually like a very warm and wholesome movie by the end. Like it honestly, one of the most heartwarming superhero movies I've seen in quite some time. And you know, that just goes to the point where it's like, oh, Kubrick and emotion and sincerity. Like, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, no, he is capable of that. If you look at, if you like dive into his work even remotely, you know, he's a like, just it, it's, it blows my mind how like you can have such an influential director and have people, and not to be like gatekeepy or anything, but like, no, yeah. This perception and like, just bad takes genuinely uh no like just misinformed takes if anything you know in 2001 2001 is both a cold and warm film i think it's a very emotional film um but it's not that's why i feel like it's that you know stanley made it you know saying i can't direct this i need you to make this spielberg because that's literally like the film is all about relationships and he's always kind of struggled with connection. If you look at eyes wide shut, another fantastic film, but eyes wide shut, it's all about detachment. And this is all about connection with one person, not receiving that connection completely. And, you know, and I think, you know, it's true. I think it's Spielberg was destined to make this, you know, I can't, you know, imagine, you know, I can't, you know, I still see people to this day. Oh, I wish I saw Stanley's version. I'm like, would you really <laughs> like it, though? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, conceptually, I'd be interested to see how he, like, shot certain things or, like, yeah. how that would, like. But, like, I, I completely agree with you, though, like, in a sense of, like, I, I don't think it would have been any better or worse or anything. Like, I think the version that we got was such a interesting i don't want to say mishmash because i assumed it's like messy but like just kind of an interesting blend i should say of um yeah. two distinct styles and i would say equally uh, maybe this is a hot take equally influential directors yes. um because yeah, uh, i know i know like film twitter likes to get like on a high pedestal of like kubrick and then spielberg but like and like yeah maybe i'll even prefer kubrick personally but like you can't deny that Spielberg is the most influential director to like ever live and yeah yeah, 100% when I was talking sorry (laughs) no go ahead no go ahead no when I was talking um I feel like I bring it up all the time I don't even know how like I like some days I'll just be like watching a movie and like Sean and I will be talking about it after and I'll just get into Spielberg and 
I feel like, like I said in the beginning of this episode, like Spielberg is obviously like everybody's introduction into films, um, like whether you realize it or not. And um, I actually took a class and it was just like a film class and I didn't know the syllabus until I got there on the first day and it was a Spielberg and Scorsese class and the first thing that I said was like I'm just going to be watching the same movies that I've seen like a million times already (laughs) but then I looked at the syllabus and I was like oh I'm gonna have to sit and really think about like Jaws and Indiana Jones and like Goodfellas and stuff and I'm really gonna have to like write about them and they're not just gonna be things that I'm gonna be sitting down to just watch like like I have a million times already and as the class was going on I like I was like Spielberg is literally probably like one of the most important directors like obviously Scorsese too like I wrote equally about Scorsese but yeah like yeah obviously but like um yeah like I there's just something about how comforting his work is even if it's like something that's just like so like bleak like I did not like Saving Private Ryan like but I feel like the chemistry like he he's just so good at directing like chemistry and, like, even if people, like, aren't family, like, it's just, like, such, like, a familial connection. Yeah. And I think also, like, you, I feel like I, I kind of felt that, like, um, one of my favorite scenes ever in movies, like, ever is um, when Roy Scheider is sitting at the dinner table and his son is, like, mimicking his movements at the yeah. dinner table. And he's, like, give us a kiss because I need it literally like the best the best scene of all movies and then immediately after when Richard Dreyfus comes to the door and they're like all so stressed out and they're just like downing wine and they're just like laughing hysterical even though they're like facing like death like I'm just, like, like there's just like such like a like a like I don't know and what I was gonna say yeah. was about the scene in Jaws like the beginning of this movie really reminded me of it um, when they were at the dinner table and basically, um, Haley Joel Osment's trying to learn how to, like, be a child in a family. Yeah. And yeah. he's, like, trying to, like, imitate, like, when they laugh or when they eat or something. And it's, like, like, I don't know. It just had the same feeling to me. And I feel like that's, like, what is the most important to me about Spielberg yeah. is just how good, like, chemistry and everything is in his movies. I... Yeah, I mean, completely. Because, like, another, I mean, like, the warmth and the thing, like, that everything that Kubrick, I don't want to say envied about Spielberg, but, like, the way he portrayed human connection and, like, just chemistry and um, character was, like, kind of unmatched to any other filmmaker, honestly, and still is. And, like, I mean, earlier and just now we were talking about, like, favorite, like, Spielberg scenes, but, like, um, my favorite of all time, and I feel like this is most people's favorite, but the the first animatronic T-Rex scene from uh, Jurassic Park where oh yeah he, he it's in the rain and the kids are in the car and the flashlight's not quite working and it, when it finally clicks on you just, you see the T-Rex's eyes like <laughs> in the window and i remember distinctly like watching that at like the age of like 5 or 6 or something like on a VHS in my living room and i've never like escaped that feeling like as a film fan and that's something that I think 
Spielberg does literally better than any other filmmaker. And it's the sense of like wonder and like Mm -hmm. genuinely showing you something that you've never seen before and you'll never quite see like it in the hands of any other filmmaker. And Mm -hmm. again, that's like something that's really apparent in this movie is like, there's a constant sense of wonder, even when you're just like in the interiors of their house or the backyard or like Joe brought up like with the lighting even like there's something like there's nothing like innately I would say until like later in the movie futuristic about this movie like it's like a lot of it is like very modernistic like even the clothing and like other than the vehicles they drive like for the first like 45 minutes to an hour other than the robot boy a lot of it is like very modern and in, just like very cool and it feels it feels very like 1960s idea of yeah future yeah 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 yeah, that's fascinating. And uh, but like at the same time though, like even with that, it's like there is a sense of wonder to it where you're like the entire time you're just like grasping at it. You're just like, oh my god, like and I gotta say, like, even watching it 20 years later today, I genuinely felt that sense of wonder that I haven't felt in a while, like watching a movie. Like one of the reasons I really liked um the movie Tenet last summer was definitely an imperfect movie for sure but like when i was watching it i was just kind of like this is like original and like it's kind of blowing my mind like just on a genuine like how did they achieve this practically kind of thing and i kind of felt the same thing here like where it's just it blows my mind when i was saying earlier about you know i mentioned operatic you know and as i said et in this share a through line where I where one thing is um, the last 20 minutes and actually it's more important here to mention with ET the last 15 20 minutes of ET when they were when uh, he was screening it and putting the score to music Spielberg and John Williams were and the editor I forget who it was they were playing the music and then Spielberg's like don't stop it and basically, the whole ending of E.T., they edited it to the music, wow. which is a rare thing to happen. It happens one other time, and it's in this movie. And yeah. it just feels so, like I said, operatic. It feels so big, and it feels like yeah. the emotions just pour out the screen. And I think it throws people off because Kubrick's not as showy and emotional. And that's a very Spielberg thing, but it it needs to happen here because that catharsis of David meeting his mom again, which is also so devastating because he is an android programmed to love someone. And the only way to get him that, and when, you know, Monica doesn't love him back, you know, bandits in the woods, even though she's a very complicated character and she thinks she's doing good, but she's not, she's actively hurting David. So the only way to for David to be happy is if Monica's an android as well. Yeah. Which is both, you know, like I said, it has this weird impact with me of both. It's very comforting, like as an end of humanity, kind of like if humanity was to go out, I'd want love to be the centerpiece. But yeah. it's also this just heartbreaking, you know, um, you know, the thing that Stanley 
you know, Stanley, like I said, is a, is, Kubrick's a very emotional filmmaker, but in a different way. He's a cold emotional. Well, you know, Spielberg's more warmth and, you know, actively, you know, showing, you know, heart on his sleeve. And you need to have the heart on your sleeve for this. Because if you don't, you know, it's good, because you, you can't really do the 2001 ending here. Because 2001 is all very cosmic and very, you know, it makes sense for that movie. But here it's all about emotion. It's all about his program. He's programmed to feel. And so he needs to need the audience to feel too. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, and one thing I'd never really mentioned is I love the opening of this movie so much. I think it really, William Hurt discussing with the scientists who actually Clark Gregg shows up in here. Yeah, I caught that. Yeah, Clark Gregg. And you're like, oh, there's Clark Gregg. But the way they, you know, introduce the the secretary robot, and it's, you know, her face is dark as dark like a shade of blue, and his is a shade of warmth, like a lighter warmth, of when William Hurt is talking to her like close to the camera, you know, showing the two differences of you know robot and human, and she's putting on makeup, and in the very next scene, you have Monica putting on makeup, going to the cryogenic lab, you have robots and humans you know coexisting that they're both similar yet the humans will never accept them it's just all these little tidbits and you know you have john williams going all out with the score which is maybe my favorite score of his yeah yeah i was thinking that throughout it i was like oh my god the score is like incredible and it feels like a little bit like different from what i would expect a john williams score to be i don't know why like I can't really like put my finger on it but like it is like so good and about the opening of it like I I agree like I kind of like how the opening of it was a little bit like clinical I guess yeah Yeah. um because when it started like I'm not like a I'm not like a massive fan of like just like sci-fi movies in general but like it really depends on what it is obviously um and I'm like, I know that I'd like it, like, going in because it's Spielberg. Like, it's not just a genre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I really do like how clinical it was in the beginning and how, like, matter-of-fact they were and almost, like, crude and, like, not taking it seriously. Like, kind of, like, laughing about, like, oh, like, sex robots. Like, it's not that. Like, um, I kind of like that it was that because it's such a stark contrast to the rest of the movie. Yeah, it like, it, it very much, I think at least, um, is reminiscent of, like, the whole, like, Dr. Hammond stuff in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like, yeah. when he's, like, talking about, like, the, he's just so oblivious to, like, exactly like Abe Malcolm says in that movie. is like, you know, you fixated on if you could, but you didn't, if, you didn't ask if you should, you know. And it's, like, it's deeply fascinating that it's, like, he wants so bad, like, William Hurt's character, like, wants so badly to create a, an AI who can love but it's like do you really want to do that though like that's like and they don't even question it is the thing like it's uh or like the one lady does but like um the way she never answers the question exactly it's like completely brushed off and I I mean the entire point of the movie lies in the very first scene and it's 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 really in the way the like the final shot just wraps around to that and answers that question but like you go through the entire motions of questioning it throughout um 
yeah, it's it's really brilliant. I think it's really good. And, you know, and you have, um, you know, you have you you're haunted by the question throughout the whole film, and you 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 know you have you're introduced to, and it's all about. It's not a. It's a film that's not just about love and aspect. You know, and you know thinking about it through, you know, physical, emotional, but it's also very much about grief and the way we respond to grief. You and, you know, you have William Hurt's character, Dr. Hobby, who is making David because of his son who died, who is the real Haley Joel Osment. Mm -hmm. And then you have Monica, who is wanting to be wanting to continue to be a mother, but she's can't because her son is in the cryogenic. It's about how we handle grief and what aspects, how we go about to handle that grief. Yeah. Well, or two things coming off that, like, um, like performances that we didn't mention. Uh, yeah. I can't remember the guy lady who plays Monica, but uh, she, uh, Francis O'Connor. Uh, fantastic. She's so good in this movie. I watched, so slight tangent, I watched Bedazzled again the other day, which I don't know if you guys have covered, but I think you should cover. <laughs> I've actually never seen it myself. It. She is the love interest in that. I was like, oh, it's Frances O'Connor. <laughs> and she's just so, like, she is so, like, like again, hard on your sleeve. And you. she does sp- despicable things at points, but you can't, help but sympathize with her you know and that's what makes that character you know complex and you know and you look at uh um um, blanking on uh sam ropart's character who is the husband who you have the the whole scene of you know since he wasn't there for the imprinting he's so cold throughout the whole film and Mm -hmm. i always think of you know that whole sequence right right after the imprint imprinting where you have she's like oh he's only just a child and he's like Monica he's a toy mm-hmm. and the, yeah. cognitive, the cognitive dissonance there is so intense but it's all very subtle and it's not yeah. and it's never in your face yeah and I mean the other thing I wanted to bring up too was like oh, like a follow up to that is like uh, that first scene where she walks in the room, his room, like when he's like conscious in the house for the first time, and oh, yeah. the way she like has a breakdown, like immediately that scene gets me every time. It, it's and I love my. I think one of my favorite shots in the entire movie is like when she goes out of the door and closes the door, and then he like he's you can see his shadow. Yeah. And then like he turns and you just see his eyes like through the door, and oh my god, it immediately like i think it was that shot that really did me i was like okay i'm completely <laughs> into this like this is already like i it it's just so eerie like but also again like another thing is that like i don't know if i'm reading way too much into it but like i found it way easier to i mean i guess this is the point but it's like it's easier to connect and understand the ais in this movie because it's almost like I feel like most AI movies, like um, Ex Machina, like deliberately, like that entire movie is about the question of like, is she being genuine with Dom Hopeless's yeah. character? Or like, you don't really know because that's her poker face and it's deliberate. It's the point. It's perfect the way it is. 
But in this movie, it's like you completely understand the AIs immediately. Like you don't even question for a second that there's no ulterior motive. You completely buy the fact that he has no interest in like overruling the humans or like any of this. You completely understand that he just loves to love. And another, and the thing is like where other movies treat AIs like you have to question them. The entire movie, you're questioning the humans. Exactly. And that's what's so like fascinating to me. It's like the entire movie, you're just like, just so, oh, you're just like, so angry at them. Like, and, but it's also like, you're getting angry at like literal, literal humanity. And like, I think the most apparent scenes where that happens is like one, uh, the pool scene, which mm-hmm. completely broke me. And uh, also the big, like, scrap battle AI thing, like, where they are just, like, completely murdering them. Yeah, the uh, flesh fair, yeah. Flesh fair. Uh, completely also got to me. Like, um, seeing the nanny that took care of uh, David. Oh, that also kills me. Yeah, it, it's, like, those two scenes, I mean, I don't, I can't even, like, pick a favorite scene in this movie. But, like, those two moments really stood out to me where I was, like, yeah, like, it kind of represents everything terrible about humanity and like how easily disposable everything is to us as a populace yeah well it's that's why one of the reasons why i think this movie has aged real well because it's we are questioning us yeah we're questioning our own humanity and you know you have you know there's a whole you know whole thing with um I'm blanking on the actual term, but the the circle motif, I don't know if you mm-hmm. noticed there, it's, you know, I was reading more about this and it's something that I find just so fascinating is that almost in all, nearly every shot, Haley Joel is covered by, within a circle and mm-hmm. which reading into it and, you know, in this book I've mentioned, mentions how Kubrick wanted to make it that everything is in a circle where you know monica is wanting to gain back the love of being you know um being a mother you know hobby's trying to find the grief and then how everyone's not happy with the, the outcome and how the film mirrors certain shots i mentioned earlier about how you know the secretary's putting on makeup in the next scene monica's putting on makeup in the car David's at the bottom of the pool and ends up in the bottom of the ocean, you know, you know, and then, you know, everything that goes on in the house with uh, Monica and David is mirrored in a happy light at the end. And just how, and it's all through his perspective of what she thought the mother was. Oh, it just kills me, (laughs) but it's just so, again, it's so subtle and it's so, it puts a mirror to humanity about yeah. what how we're treating and that's where i think in the climate change thing you know how we're handling the earth how we're handling other people or even how we are treating you know uh you know people you know uh, people of color you know other uh people who are uh uh you know d- different genders you know just the way we treat others and I just mm-hmm. find it to be, it's like I said, it's aged so well in these this past 20 years. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting, I guess now, for this to be like reclaimed, so to speak. Because 
I feel like a lot of movies have been rightfully reclaimed or like, oh, that movie was good, actually. And I like I guess this movie was never exactly like bashed or anything. Like, I think it was just misunderstood. It's very misunderstood. It's about the same. I think the only other film, as I said earlier, the only other film of recent memory that I felt like got similar similar issues uh, similar uh, misunderstood I was Cloud Atlas that film mm-hmm. the last of its kind of its kind of this big you know epic and I just think that this film it's just so philosophical and it's so poetic in a way you just don't see coming out of Hollywood at all you know yeah. I just mm-hmm. it's really like you know as David you know is told you know I thought I was one of a kind, and it is kind of a one of a kind film. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Ugh. We're just going to really quick take a break for a word from some of our sponsors. Thanks, guys. Hey, friends. Do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? Of course you do. That's why you listen to this podcast. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, Zillennial Canon Award winner, I'll add that, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies By Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Superyaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Superyaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. As a special gift to you, because we love you and appreciate you, Listeners can save 10% on their next order with code SUPERZILLENNIAL in all caps with no spaces at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Thank you so much, Superyaki, for sponsoring this episode. Let's watch more movies, guys. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, um, I think this is like my, honestly, my last note was uh and it also refreshed my mind because uh Kira put it as the profile picture but uh teddy uh in this was gonna bring up um, absolute king absolutely. um <laughs> i i'll be honest i didn't recognize the voice actor for teddy um it, it's yeah his name is jack angel he is a voiceover artist who's been around for years but that's actually a good point. You brought up something I wanted to mention. Two things. One, one, I have a little oh, teddy here. Yeah, Joe's Joe showing us a actual teddy uh, from the movie that he has. Yes. And yes. Uh, this is, wow, it looks literally just like teddy. This like was, it, yeah, this was made around the time when it came out, and I found it on eBay for about like 15 bucks. I was like, it's mine. Um, and actually, I'll get to a little more of that in a little bit here. But um, the visual effects for this film, they they had Stan Winston and company. Who uh, he uh, he and uh, he did a lot of the Jurassic Park animatronics. There are a ton of animatronics in this film. 
Teddy, except for certain shots, is all an animatronic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I assumed that, but I, then again, there's a lot of CGI in this movie that's very seamless. I would say so. Like, yeah. I wasn't completely sure either, but the way he moves is like just so fluid. Like, I, I was really drawn to that, and also the way he's just portrayed in this movie is like so sad. He's so loyal to David and will do anything for him, and it, he just doesn't receive it back. He is himself Monica. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That last shot of him on the bed is, like, the saddest thing. Oh. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. it's also, like, um, what's his name? The other, the other, the son, like, the real son. Which... Yeah, yeah, which actually, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, he was the previous owner of Teddy, right? Yes. And the way he just is like, you can have him, like, whatever. He's old and exactly. stupid. He's like, old and stupid. What, do you, what can you do? Yeah, I like, <laughs> when he said that, I'm like, don't say that about him. He's lovely. <laughs> I, I love this. <laughs> How dare you? Um, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, the real son is Jake Thomas, who is uh, Lizzie McGuire's brother. <gasps> oh, <laughs> okay. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. I I knew I I didn't IMDb it during the movie, but as I was watching, I'm like, this kid's familiar. And immediately when you said that, I'm like, yep. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And he's <laughs> so despicable in this. Oh, um, awful. Just horrible. And Terrible. he's like the exact point that Stanley and you know, Stephen are trying to say about humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting because it's like the way it's like, it's not even that he's like a terrible kid at conception. It's just like the way he is just so it, it's like, it's engraved in him. Like this uh, sense of like entitlement to things, to people, to, uh, or yeah. things that aren't people or like the way he is just so disposed. Like he, you learn at a young age of just dispose of things that you no longer care about, regardless of their inherent value or, um, if they're conscious with feelings, like yeah. it's the way we are t- taught at a young age about the value of others. And it's just, and like, I think it's, it's not very, I, I wouldn't say it's like defined in this movie, but like something that's, I would say more, um, it, it's not, I don't know, very explicit, but it's like, they're a very high income family. Like they're very, exactly, yeah. and it's, also a movie about classism <laughs> and like um just like I don't, it's so interesting to me like that like even the people that um i forgot again the the scrapyard place the uh the flesh uh, the flesh fair flesh fair yeah yeah um that entire scene it's like literally like like them picking up the scraps of other ais from that the rich dispose of and like i mean and even them they hate ais but they have to get the scraps of it yeah, and exactly. It's, They're helping each other out, you know. And yeah. It, God, it, it's it kills me. <laughs> it's also the, like uh, the the class the class aspect of it is um really interesting because it's like they could afford to literally like have another child basically like to like buy an an like a AI child um and it seems like at like the flesh fair like a lot of 
like basically the whole like audience is like working class people yeah. mm-hmm. um and like all like the kids and stuff and it's really interesting that it's like the working class people like this is like their way of like experiencing like ai yeah like it's not that like they can just like have like a robot like in their house like they have to like go to this place to experience and like witness like the robots and stuff it really reminds me you know and i know this was coming out you know bush era you know this was again pre-9-11 but it really reminds me of how a lot of not only of you know black lives matter kind of situation here but like also just covid that whole scene in particular i just think about how the way people reacted to covid and it's just it's it, there like i said it's just a lot of things of how it's aged. this movie is aged i just think about how it's a lot of things that connect mm-hmm. and you would think it wouldn't but it does yeah um, yeah just, i think like i mean i feel like people not like meme about it but like Kubrick's career obviously like there are like conspiracy theories and shit about it but I think he just like (laughs) yeah and like how he like faked the moon landing and stuff and like I have a shirt that says like Kubrick moon landing film (laughs) but like um it's like really fascinating like how like avid listeners of this podcast know that I went through character development last summer when I saw 2001 for the first time. <laughs> Literally the funniest. <laughs> like, and I was like, bro, I'm so fucking scared right now. Um, <laughs> but also, like, the way you were like, Kubrick's a good director, question mark? Like, well, I, I always like Eyes Wide Shut, um, just because I feel like that's more, like, my, like, vibe um, of just, like, here. yeah, just, like, weird, like, like not like melodramatic but you you know what i mean just like um like tom cruise and uggs that's my vibe but like (laughs) um the movie is so good (laughs) by the way just real quick i saw that for the first time with the pandemic uh, oh yeah uh maybe actually the best movie of all time just saying it's so fantastic (laughs) it yeah it's it's one that it's just you get so drawn into oh uh, Yeah. yeah i and like my big hot take is i very much like later Kubrick. I like Eyes Wide Shut. I love like, 2001. I think is great, but like can't get into like my whole thing is I never wanted to see Clockwork Orange. I just think I would hate it. <laughs> I just yeah. I've never seen it either. Um, I think it's a fantastic film, but I could probably like never ever rewatch it. Um, I I've seen it twice in my life. I saw it at a way too age of like 14 or 15 when I was like, I got to watch the classics. And yeah. then I saw it again um, for stuff to the AOK pod where we did a Kubrick episode and I rewatched it then. And after that rewatch, I was like, okay, that's my last viewing ever. Yeah. And I'm never <laughs> doing it again. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think I had it like a little bit easy because like the shining was a movie that for some reason, I mean, I bring this up a lot on the pod but the Shining is a movie that I saw at the young age of like eight years old for the first time. Wow. Um, I, of course, though, I watched the uh, TV edited version of it. Um, 
on AMC's 30 Days of Halloween. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I, I just, I feel like I have so many memories as a kid of like watching horror movies on my living room floor, like after my parents went to bed or something. Yeah. But like that and Halloween 1978 are like the two most like apparent formative horror movies, other than Scream, of course, that I covered, we covered on the pod. Uh, but um, those two of like just watching them at like midnight at a way too young of an age. Oh, yeah. And the feeling I had of watching them for the first time. Uh, especially Shining, where you're just like watching that tracking shit of like Danny on the like, on the like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way the sound changes when he hits the different floors and like, uh, like sounds like a heartbeat. Yeah, it's just, I mean, and I, I I've talked, I've seen like some takes from people that are like, it's it's a little inaccessible now. It's it's, but like, even at a young age, like it's just always been a people look at me weird when I say this, but like, it's a comforting movie to me. Like I can fall yeah. asleep to the shining. Um, I think it's just the very spacious and very luxurious and very, it's terrifying, but like yeah. there's something about the quietness of it that I think no other movie does exactly. It's, like. it's really weird. Like seeing his movies for the first time, like, not as a teenager or like revisiting them like I definitely saw The Shining too young as everyone else did but like um like watching them like now and being like it's crazy like how like accessible these are to like the average film goer like watching it I'm like whoa this is like so like big and like but like you think about it and it's like everyone and their mom has seen The Shining in 2001 and liked it and it's like that's really weird because I wouldn't think of him as being that accessible, but like he really is, I guess. Like there's just something about it. I don't know. The idea I think of is that like he almost makes art house blockbusters, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like no, it's it's a very weird uh, terminology, but it's like it's he was, like, you think how much much like Ice White Shut made money. Yeah, <laughs> you would think like in '99. I'm like, what? Wasn't it intended for a Christmas release, but it came out in the summer? If yeah, I'm it came out like June, no, July, yeah. July '99. I find that so funny, as it's like fully a Christmas movie. Like, I think that yeah. is like, or like New stuff. Year's. Yeah, this and Phantom Thread are like the most New Year's Eve <sighs> movies I could think of. <laughs> okay, my big hot take: I like PTA, but I only fell in. I only became like a big fan of him because of Phantom Thread. I was like, oh, this is very much me. Literally. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah, even get I, me started on fucking Phantom. <laughs> I yeah, I won't fully go into PTA because like my obsession started young. I think around the time between the Master and Inherent Vice was like when my oh, obsession yeah. started. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still to this day I think I, if I'm I I don't think I'm mistaken when I say this. I don't think I've liked the movie as much as Phantom Thread since I saw it in theaters. Like oh, yeah. that movie still is like the best movie I've seen since that day. Like, (laughs) because I remember like sitting like five rows from the screen. I was the only one in the row. The whole audience was completely silent, except for like the funny moments. And I was just like fully leaned back and immersed. And then when it ended, I don't know why, but I shed a single tear. (laughs) I just like walked to my car and I was just, I just said to myself, because I went alone. I was like, that's the best movie I've ever seen. Like, that... (laughs) 
it's so <laughs> oh, it's it's very much my like I love melodrama as you can tell I love very emotional works yeah. and BTA is sometimes very you know he and Kubrick are very kind of withdrawn at points and I think you know PTA is more emotional than Kubrick but Kubrick which I was going to say earlier is Kubrick's like it's funny how you know The Shining is such his like that's his most enduring work out of mm-hmm. all of them but he's kind of being now being sold as he's a horror director when he's not really a horror director. he's just like he, he's a filmmaker with like horror thriller aspects but it's more drawn out yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah i mean literally like watch any other movie than the shining that kubrick made in, well, like, like yeah 2001 is terrifying at parts yeah mm-hmm. eyes wide shut mm-hmm. is terrifying at parts <laughs> yeah 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 and it's like but then like not during my the aok episode we did again but like Rewatching like a uh, scene the killing and like Spartacus and um, oh yeah one of my biggest blind spots for that pod was uh Barry Lyndon I had not seen it prior to the pod um fucking hilarious movie by oh, the way oh it's so good um so funny and also like also one of the best movies of all time but like uh it's just like he much like Spielberg contains multitudes in his craft he uh, I mean no of course no shit of course. Kubrick uh, contains multitudes but that even like exceeds to like genre like like yeah his craft is like unmatched but also his like ability to like go into pretty much any subject matter or genre or what have you and do whatever he wants with it and do it perfectly is something that not many directors can do and it's often taken for granted like I think it's so fascinating when directors can just do that they can just because, like, I feel like a lot of directors just stay in one genre, and that's and that's good, and that's fine, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I'm very appreciative of, like, directors who challenge themselves to, like, continually go in different areas. And I, even if they fail, I think it's fascinating. You know, My... Spielberg's, Spielberg's always done that. That's the kind of the shocking thing. You know, yeah. He's been doing that since at least the 90s going maybe even the 80s but mainly the 90s yeah well i mean that's why isn't west side, west side story such a big deal right because he's just... yeah yeah it's his first musical he's been wanting to make a musical for forever he's like tried to incorporate musical aspects into his films like i said about the scene in ai but also with you know uh temple of doom yeah. and it's just uh my um my film hot take um which like agree with me or not but i think that every single director should make a musical yes every single director should make a musical because whether it be original or like an adaptation because we just need to see what they can do i think (laughs) that's like (laughs) that's like the ultimate test (laughs) is just like and you can just tell i feel like when you're watching um like when you're watching something just like how it would translate to a musical like the style like Sean and I were watching Suicide Squad the other day and like both of us didn't love it but he said to me he was like Margot Robbie why isn't she in a musical <laughs> I'm like true like yeah. not even because like she's like good at singing or whatever but he was like remember the scene in Birds of Prey like and like like a lot of like her performance as Harley Quinn specifically and even like I feel like Wolf Wall Street and stuff a lot of her charisma comes from like 
like she's just very charismatic like I don't know how to describe it and um like her being used in like montages and stuff um it's just I feel like I feel like you just get that vibe and I think that any director should make a musical that's how I feel she just got cast the new Wes Anderson movie, and I'm yes. excited about that. Oh, that's good. You um, should make good. a musical. Um, it was French Dispatch was supposed to be one originally, if I'm not mistaken, right? Was he it? was going to make a musical. It might be this coming one. I don't know yet. I, yeah, if, I spoke that, that into existence. <laughs> yeah. Um, broken first. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, if that is the musical that he was talking about originally, or that was reported... Um, and Margot, they have Margot Robbie for it. Um, Tom Hanks is in it too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. which by the way, I mean, just that cast, like already, Tom Hanks, uh, you know, Bill Murray's gonna be in there, like already, like, yeah, hell yeah. But, um, yeah, off to his point, like, I, I don't know if I would say I want every director to make a musical because there are certain directors that I don't think are good enough to like that's okay though it'll be it'll just be bad bad. okay no fair fair uh (laughs) but there are certain like a lot of certain directors that i just am like what would that look like because like even like i I mean i i kind of want to say edgar wright but i guess he like baby driver and scott pilgrim are both very yeah he kind of does it i mean baby driver is the closest to a musical that's not it's like a musical without singing yeah and it's like that movie is so like warts and all that movie is like i think deeply fascinating and like um i just remember like when i was watching it i had the same feeling as watching a musical like yeah uh, i was like exhilarated like in every level of that movie and that movie like defined summer 2017 for me because i (laughs) thought so many times um but, like, even, like, Paul Thomas Anderson, like, doing a musical or, like, just the idea of that. Like, just imagine, like, how, like, precise the shots would be. Like, how yeah. perfect. <laughs> but, like, even, like, throw in, like, a Nolan or, like, a Villeneuve or, like, something. Or, like, um, something I liked about um, Annette was, I, I'm blanking on the director's mm-hmm. name. But, like. Uh, Leo. Uh... Um. It, that Car- movie. Car- 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 I mean, I failed friends. Sorry. Yeah, I, I know. I did too. See, I <laughs> but um, uh, that movie is like even less because I wasn't expecting a musical. I'd say it's like an opera. That movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. Fully an opera. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's kind of mind blowing. Um, like I, I wouldn't even say I love that movie, but I love the experience of it. Like I, I was blown away by it. I'll say, uh, if you want a decent musical fix, um, uh, Apple TV Shamega Dune is uh, very I, enjoyable. Yeah, I keep seeing ads for that. Um, not even on Apple TV, because I, I shout to Ted Lasso, the only reason I have. Oh, that's so, yeah, it's, so <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> um, but I see, uh, whenever I'm like watching Olympic uh, highlights on Peacock, they uh show commercials for that and every time i see one i'm like i'd probably love that like i should probably start it um before my well, like, youth yeah. style runs up <laughs> no, it, i highly recommend and you know with as i was saying i know you, you guys are mixed on moulin rouge but moulin rouge for me is like like i said it feels that's one of those few movies that i just feel like 
really captures what theater is and yeah. the the emotions in the the like both there's you know there's a reason why AI and Mulan Rouge are both very much personal faves because they're so like deeply emotional and that's partly I think going back to the beginning 2001 in film is just a very emotional year for film because you know you also have though I wrote down you Josie and the Pussycats Mulholland Drive and Vanilla Sky are also just achingly you know emotional yeah. works too and Hedwig you know and mm-hmm. just I just think you know I just think you know we were kind of losing that a bit you know and there's still works that come out that are emotional but it's just all those are just hard on your sleeve at times yeah can I can I just really quick side note um on my I looked up 2001 movies just to like look at like a distinct list same on I'm my on Butterbox top, right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, on Google Movies, my top top picks for me are The Princess Diaries, Osmosis Jones, and Spy Kids, and Moulin Rouge. So I feel like that just sums up like it really does. Yeah. Um, this podcast I'd, and what I use the internet for. <laughs> I'd be remiss to not say The Fast and the Furious came out in 2001. Exactly. It's just um, like a crazy year. <laughs> uh, Amelie also. I don't think that's like a perfect movie by any means but it's completely lovely and like um you know very emotional um yeah i'm like looking at the list right now this is like yeah i i, I didn't realize i mean i when joe was talking about it, i'm like yeah that's true but now, now that i'm like looking at the lineup it's like yeah it doesn't <laughs> really was that year like yeah it was for, that for a year that featured a very traumatic event for a yes. lot of people it just feels so especially just wild of how like hard on it's hard on your sleeve it was that for you know and it just for me personally it's just it's a year that you know excluding that the the big you know my you know zebra or whatever and i'm just the, the monster in the room or whatever elephant in the room i cannot yeah. think it's it's just such like it you know i try to think because my whole thing with nostalgia is I wonder if, you know, I try not to be like, oh, I wish I was back at that time. But I also like to think, you know, we probably won't get a time, like get a, you know, art won't be the exact same at this point. And like a lot of other years as well. But this is just at one point in time where it's just like, felt like, everything fit mm-hmm. with film you, you still got mid-budget films you still got all these films that are still like unique works that just don't get made anymore and i just love that kind of aesthetic yeah yeah, yeah. and i think also it's like I don't know if it's because it's, like, the 20th anniversary of, like, all of these movies this year. Like, we just literally covered Princess Diaries last year. Yeah. The 20th anniversary. But, um, like, all of them, and I guess that's, like, why it kind of ties into, like, Zillennial canon. Like, I don't know if it's because of the year, but all of them we all like hold with us like I know that sounds like weird to say but like I feel like it's just such a specific year in that like like it was like literally just the beginning of like Harry Potter like that's yeah. like when the first Harry Potter movie came out like Lord of the Rings. it just really yeah it really felt like like the 
beginning of something that we kind of all hold with us and like yeah. I don't know if kind of like 9-11 has something to do with that that it was like before like the world kind of or like our worlds as Americans I don't know that's, I hate saying this <laughs> <laughs> it's We're regressing I sound like I sound like those uh Disney Channel like things that went viral on Twitter that this is, week you guys see those so- yeah, it's so funny. Oh my god. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's like I, I, it's like the last like media before like nine eleven. You know what I mean? Like I, I mean I don't I can't speak for you guys, but like the first I because I was thinking about it like while Joe was talking and like I I think two thousand one is really the first year that I like started like forming actual memories of the yeah. movies I was watching. Cause like I, my mom told me the first movie she ever took me to was the Tigger movie, uh, the Winnie the Pooh movie back in oh, like yeah, yeah. year 2000. Um, I have like a very faint memory of it. Like I just remember being in the very top corner of the top row. Um, but like, I don't remember anything about the experience, but like I started forming like theater memories of like, the only two I can remember from 2001 um monsters inc i remember seeing and i remember seeing um for some reason the jimmy neutron movie and uh just immediately going to toys r us after and getting like all right (laughs) yeah and like getting and like so yeah like i think even just subconsciously like 2001 is like the year because i was like four at the time so like that was really the first time i was like Oh, and Shrek also. That's a huge oh, one. Yeah. Shrek's, oh, Shrek's my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that was a summer release. That might be my, like, first conscious memory of, like, seeing a movie in a theater. I remember, like, what theater I saw it at. Um, yeah. Who went with Yeah. There are a couple films that... The first film I remember seeing in theaters was... Before that, I, saw, I remember seeing Toy Story 2 in its original run. Um I remember it vividly, and it's never really left my mind. But, like, that, in 2001, I remember seeing Shrek and Monsters, Inc. But, like, this film was always an elusive one. Because I I remember, it was like I said, I remember the TV spots vividly to a T. That when I watched them years, you know, on YouTube, they're on YouTube, but worth checking out because they're just weird and unique. But... I remember like, oh, I remember this 100%. And <laughs> I actually, I had a memory that came back to me uh, regarding this film uh, about last month. And it was, I remember that, because they said on, uh, I don't remember where I saw this, but they they were going to just call this film AI and not put artificial intelligence, but they added it because people kept mistaking it for a one sauce and i know yeah. i did that i know i did that to a t and i was like oh my god that's a me- oh my god it was just like whoosh, it blew all over me or that's like so just like al <laughs> al. <laughs> al um ha- joe have you seen the teaser i mean i'm guessing you have but the teaser trailer for this movie yes um, cause I watched it right before the call started tonight and it's so haunting. It's one of the coolest teaser trailers I think I've ever seen. Like the way 
if I can describe it for the audience, like you know, the AI logo comes up, and then it has like the like the little silhouette of David, but mm-hmm. then like he walks out of the silhouette, yeah, and then you like go into his cybernetic thumbprint, and you hear like dialogue from the movie playing over it, and like, and you also like see like, um, there's like a lot of like uh, like how much he weighs, but it's like, yeah. but he is not human. And you're like, what? <laughs> so I would show it next to you as, um, for anyone listening, I have posters in my room behind me, but there's one right above my computer here that's an original AI poster. Oh, um, and the, the, the tagline for the film is, David's 11 years old. He weighs 60 pounds. He is four, th- four feet, six inches tall. He has brown hair. His love is real, but he is not. He is not, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> And I just think that's so simple. And it's yeah. so it it's such a it wouldn't have surprised me if Kubrick wrote that because it's just so matter of the fact and it's a black it's a black poster with that text and the logo AI artificial intelligence. Now yeah. it brings me to a thing I will say that I don't know if you guys knew about, but this film was one of the first to have an ARG. I saw that, yeah. So yeah. on the poster, if you look at the poster, and it's on the t- the trailers too. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a on the TV spots. You uh, uh, if you look at the TV spots or the trailer, they'll have like it's the uh, the text is sparkling on mm-hmm. the, the the DreamWorks picture, like the the the, cre- the credits text, and it spells out something. And then also it it's it's shining on a name. So <laughs> this is a whole thing back in 2001. And so on, there's a name enlisted on the poster for it. Let me read it. Sentient machine therapist, Janine Sala. <laughs> Which, one, it's a fake person and a not a real occupation. It was the entrance point to an ARG made by Microsoft that uh, if you went to Google, looked up Janine Sala, you would get to these fake websites that are in the world of AI. Wow. And it would drag you down the rabbit hole and you would call phone numbers and they would leave cryptic messages for you. You'd go to websites and it would tell an alternate story about a scientist, Janine Sala, and she's helping her friend who got murdered by an AI. And it's this is whole, so cool. It, yeah, it was a whole, <laughs> other, whole other narrative within the world of the film. It's, and in the credits of the film, they also have Janine Sala, Ev, Evan Chan, like these names at the very end of the film, uh, after the names of the of the actual, uh, you know, actors. And so, so they had like fax machines. Oh, the Yahoo groups just closed. So you can't really find any a lot of the the text. But if you look it up, you could go to uh, uh, Internet Archive. But yeah, literally a whole narrative. Uh, Martin Swinton, the son, Jake Thomas, is an adult in one of these. It's set in between when he, when the David's frozen and the 2000 year future gap. It's basically in between there. And his character is the, he's struggling with, oh, I, I messed up. I can't believe I, you know, I dealt with David. You know, I, I, I regret what I did to David. You know, and it's just all these weird gaps. And it was just interesting to read the rabbit hole. It's worth going down. <laughs> But uh, wow. it's crazy, and it's one of the first. It was a very successful ARG, and uh, yeah, and it really was a 
a big first step to what social media became. Um, um, I I don't want to speak for Kira, but I I want to say we're maybe both thinking that this is giving Cloverfield a little bit. Yeah. It really is yeah. a pre-Cloverfield, yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah. As Joe was talking, I was like, damn, how are we going to know when, like, the Cloverfield one boots up again? Like, I really should look at the Reddit after this. <laughs> Dude, it, well, that's what I was so disappointed with, Paradox, because, like, oh, um, God, don't get me I mean, first of all, that movie is abysmal, but also on top of it, there is no campaign. They just dropped it at midnight. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. Which, I mean, in theory, that's, like, cool. But, like, for Cloverfield, no, you need... You need you the need secrecy. Like two years of like build up. Can I? Can I just say I'm pretty sure I brought it up on the Cloverfield pod that we did. I think it was like our second or third episode. Yeah. But the magic of seeing the Thursday night 7 p.m. showing of Michael Bay's Benghazi movie. Oh my god. And not yeah. knowing as a massive <laughs> Cloverfield fan, just sitting in the theater and like a trailer starts playing and you're like, oh, oh, John Goodman, oh. Maybe and it's the like the best trailer of all time. And you're oh, just like, such an and I'm like, trailer. and I'm like, literally on Google, like looking back and forth at the screen and on my phone, I'm like, what is this movie? I'm like, I've never heard of this. Like, what is this? And then Cloverfield comes up and I literally like fucking screech. Yeah. And I like dash out to the lobby, like as Benghazi starting. And I'm like, I go on Twitter and I'm like, Cloverfield trailer in front of Michael Bay's Benghazi, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like having a meltdown on Twitter as I'm missing the first five minutes of Benghazi because <laughs> Cloverfield is the most like formative movie of the 2000s for me. And like, yeah. and like, even aside from the movie, I mean, again, we, we talked about this in the Cloverfield episode, but like, even aside from the movie itself, like the formative part of it for me was like, and also a good movie that comes out later this year or next year that I saw at Sundance, uh, where I went to the World's Fair, which is just like about a teenage girl, like yes. going down a rabbit hole of like internet conspiracies and like dark shit. And like Cloverfield, even aside from being an excellent movie, it was also formative for me in terms of, like, internet sleuthing and going on message boards and, like, going down rabbit holes. And so, like, yeah, hearing you talk about, like, the AI, ARG is, like, it just reminded me how much I love the Cloverfield. I'll, I'll say, I as another Cloverfield stand, it just makes oh, me happy yeah. to see, see people love Cloverfield because it's an amazing <laughs> film. I was, oh, also, I was also very much into that film when it came out. Um, but the thing about this one, and there's a couple things I forgot to mention. They had, they had actual like, they staged protests because there's a whole thing about. Um, I'm gonna pull up the Wikipedia here about it. It's called the Beast. If you look it up, the B, the Beast ARG. Um, and then they had like, it. The whole premise is set in uh, uh, 2142, roughly 40 years after the film, and it's like uh, they they want to uh, say they let's see. The, the man act is brought before the legislator of uh, the president is all and all and the president ultimately put a referendum to decide if artificial intelligence will be treated equal to, as human citizens wow and so basically long story short they had staged protests in new york and chicago and la <laughs> that people were like oh you know artificial intelligence they you know like that and then Kathleen Kennedy, the producer for this film, and you know she later did Star Wars. She and Haley Joel were at a conference, and they were giving out cards, 
things wow. related to this, like phone numbers to call. They went all out and it really was a influential way, you know, because they were comparing it to the Blair Witch Project was the which which the the main one. You know, that was the the big one. But this is yeah. like this was the next step. And it just and then like another thing is, you know. This film was that before it came out, it was so secretive. Um, Spielberg did the same thing Kubrick did and did not tell, didn't give the full script. You know, um, you know, they he kept it very, very secretive. So Warner Brothers and DreamWorks were like, "Oh, this is going to be a family film." So, <laughs> so they made a Teddy that talks that goes for hundreds of dollars on eBay. That literally is like like a tickle me and uh, tickle me Elmo, but it's Teddy that like literally oh talks, God. and <laughs> it didn't sell much because you know the spell is bleak yeah. as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but the other fascinating thing, real fast, is there were going to be Xbox original Xbox games for this movie. Um, they they were going to come out when the the because this launch that launched in what November two thousand one, so they were going to launch with AI games and they all got canceled, but one of them was going to be a fighting game called AI, the circuit. That's so fucking funny. And if you <laughs> look it up on YouTube, they found a, uh, uh, what's it called? A, uh, um, prototype that mm -hmm. you could watch. It's on there and it's the weirdest thing. Oh, I is highly there gameplay footage. Yeah. There's gameplay footage of that early prototype <laughs> oh, wow. and it is wild and it's very much of its era it's wow. called yeah ai the circuit that's um, so funny i'll send links later but it's like Please. the weirdest thing and like no one never ever knows about it and i was just yeah this is um it's probably like it's reminding me of um a meme of Willem dafoe next to like the halo <laughs> merchandise and the Daruda. <laughs> And the Mountain Dew. And it's like, I just like find, like, because after like experiencing this movie and then like hearing about it like being marketable or like um, franchisable or like even like video game spinoffs, it's like so funny to me. Like, um, I mean, it's an excellent movie, but it's like the idea that this, I, like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but like the idea of that is like, it's so wild. Like, I this is yeah. a non-franchise film. Like, it, it's about as non-franchise, but have a blockbuster budget that you could possibly get. I think. Yeah, and it's like you could tell that you know the studios were like, oh, we got to do this, and then when they found out the full or saw the whole film, they're like, oh shit, <laughs> and yeah. they like, canceled everything because so it's funny. just it's just, it's wild. And it, it really reminded me of. Um... It reminds me of Sean's eternal struggle with Dick Tracy. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. yeah, Dick Tracy. Um, a movie I have never seen. <laughs> I really but hearing, see it. But hearing Sean talk about it makes me want to see it. it, um, it everything he said about it, I'm like, oh, I have to put it on my list. I have to watch it like, yeah. as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's this... not my cup of tea, but I <laughs> admire it, and I think that it is wonderful, and I'm happy that it makes him happy, and whenever I see Dick Tracy merchandise, I will send it to him for him to purchase. I think I sent, sent him, like, there was, uh, someone did a 35mm scan of the trailer, mm -hmm. I think I sent it to him, I was like, um, this is you? <laughs> he bought the trailer in 35mm. Oh, he did? I forgot about it. That's... <laughs> That's wild. Um, one one of my yeah. dreams is one of my dreams is to find the trailer 
for this movie on 35, the one that is in bad quality on YouTube, which is the one minute one, which has Ben Kingsley's uh, monologue about in a distant future, you know, robot in, in the age of intelli intelligent machines, there's this really haunting, beautiful little trailer that's a minute long that is just because the thing about this film I love is that it's such a like a storybook. It feels like you're watching a Grimm's fairy tale, a future Grimm's fairy tale. You know the P Pinocchio connection, of course. Which mm -hmm. Brian Aldiss, who did the the film or did the short story, hated that connection and told Kubrick, "Don't do it." And he was like, Kubrick was <laughs> like, "Nah, I gotta do this." Yeah. <laughs> And you know, and uh, there in the the video I mentioned earlier here, it, Spielberg's like Brian Aldiss called me and said, "Please don't put Pinocchio and connect this and connect Pinocchio to my short story." And Spielberg's like, "I'm just doing it for Stanley. I'm sorry." <laughs> yeah, I um, God, I mean that's something we didn't even cover, but I think it's like again because like we're doing like a two-hour pod and it's like funny that we, there's still things we haven't covered oh but, there's like, so much in this film <laughs> the, the, the whole pinocchio angle like between the blue fairy and like also just um the, what is it the fox and pinocchio or something like and that being or like I, is that a, is it a fox that like makes pinocchio like yeah um, i don't remember the character um but like that's basically like, the brother in this movie like it's so such a weird version of Pinocchio, but like also not, it's entirely its own thing, but like mm -hmm. the way it takes up like the most notable aspects of Pinocchio and makes yeah. it like, like William Hurt is very much uh, Geppetto almost. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's really fascinating. <laughs> like, I mean, I know it's yeah. like 80 times, but like truly this, this movie is he's just, he's, yeah. Is used. It's so unique. I mean, yeah. we haven't even covered how, um, Dr. No, Robin Williams, that whole scene, Jude Law is like, mix fact with fairy tale, which is mm -hmm. this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's giving me a little bit of a, oh God, uh, uh, Dr. DNA from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just because, I, I mean, I don't know, like, I equally, like, love both sequences. Like, um yeah, I don't know. But, like, that's what it was giving me a little bit. And, like, also another thing is that, like, the uh, idea that, like, you said that uh, people perceive the ending as, like, a Spielberg touch. Yes. But, like, people also perceive, if I'm, I remember reading it earlier, like, they perceive the Robin Williams edition as a Spielberg touch. And it's, yeah, like, like, no, all the cameos, like, yeah. He didn't touch it. Like, it's not, like, it's so not him. And it's, like, it's just, it's really interesting, like, where you assume directors begin and end it's like it's actually reverse here like um it's completely the opposite of what you perceive on initial viewing and i think that's so fascinating it's so it's, it's so cool like i don't even know what to say about this because it's just I, I need to see it a second time i think it's like a thing i said earlier i the highest honor you could get is a film like this i think the highest honor i think kubrick would have been in awe of this. I just think everything that I've read about him, especially with this movie and how much this was his baby. I mean, this is the film he was like going hours and hours into. And, you know, I just think the highest honor is, you know, Spielberg doing it and honoring yeah. his friend. And, 
he gets a credit at the beginning. It's Amblin and Stanley Kubrick production. And at the very end, it says for Stanley Kubrick. And it's just, yeah. Ugh. And it's just, it's a, it's a friend honoring a friend. And I just think that's the most Wait, wholesome. Oh, it's the most wholesome thing. Not to bring up uh, Phantom Thread again, but um, so I oh, watched I, yeah. the, I watched the credits of AI all the way through just because I was like, I might as well just watch this. Um, I might as well get my money's worth from this rental and watch it. <laughs> and the but, music's amazing, so it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to go see Phantom Thread with a live orchestra. So the orchestra continued to play through the credits. And at the end of the credits, it's dedicated to Jonathan Demme. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, very heartbreaking and oh. devastating. But, Another, like, wholesome fellow right there. Yeah, yeah. I saw this film uh, 27? Was it 2018? No, yeah, 2018. Mm-hmm. I saw this film I went in Chicago at the Music Box, which is incredible theater if you're in the area. I'm about like two hours from Chicago. It's a good day trip. I saw this on 35 millimeter, and mm-hmm. I broke down at the end of it. It's just this was a year that that year they were doing. It was the year uh, 2001. Got it 70 mil, and I saw that, and then they yeah. did it. They did a, another uh, Stanley retrospect, so I saw Barry Lyndon and Eyes Wide Shut in 35. But AI, just seeing those images and just that music in a theater, like, it was the hardest I broke down since the first time I watched it. And it was just like a spiritual connection. Um, it's just, there's something about this film, you know, and like I said, with Cloud Atlas as well, there's, a, like, the thing with this, it just, I have such a, spiritual like connection to how it's portrayed and how humanity is portrayed in both it's in a bad light in this film but it's also david is the good in humanity even with his you know people i've said oh he's psychotic he's you know you know he's you know he's like he you know his his whole character arc is insane but he's doing what he's programmed to he is an mm-hmm. innocent he's an eternal innocent and yeah. i just connect so much with him on an emotional level i just feel so much of myself in him even though i am not a robot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's just it breaks my, it to see the ending which is both like i said earlier a bittersweet conclusion of being the light Humanity has ended, and this is the final light of it. It's going out. That's the end. You know, the light of the lights of the house are fading away as humanity is, but it ends on love. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's what just gets me. And that's where you know, like you said, uh, Adam, like you said, The Shining is a comforting film for you. This is a very comforting film for me. It makes me, as someone who's been panicking. Panicking for months about climate change, and I've been dealing with depression, anxiety of how to handle this. Why am I not doing enough? And I just know this film, for some reason, gives me a, you know, same with Cloud Atlas in a similar way. Everything will be okay at the end. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I it feels fitting that we we start with climate change at the beginning of the pod, and we 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 bring it up here at the two hour mark, like where yeah. it's like I because I mean I won't lie, like I right before recording I was like on Twitter, like just you know doom scrolling as I always yeah. do, and it's just I mean yeah it's it's immensely scary and it's um. Yeah, I like we're it all around the we're all around a similar age, you know. We're like we are, we are in the in Jula's situation, you know. We are, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's everything they did, you know. We it, yeah. the last thing will be will, the last thing that will be after the humanity ends, we'll all be there is us, and we're the other, we're the meccas, yeah. we'll be left behind, and yeah. it's. It's terrifying, and it, I've struggled so much with it. But there's, like I said, there's something about, especially how art, you know, with with Cloud Atlas in particular, it's like how. Actually, I'll say this: another film with Cloud Atlas uh, it's, it's done it for me. I watched Julia and Juliet the other day. Another film oh, yeah. about about how art gets us through troubling times, and also another 9/11 film, you know, about Julia how and Julia, hell yeah. Uh, um i actually have seen that and i think it's great yeah it's so good but like even within our struggles we have art to go back to you know and i love that and i think this film it's all about love and it's about even though we're we deal with you know and the world ends but love is there even if it's not sincere you know it's a it's a it's like i said monica's a a robot it, it was planted there from a, yes. a very real place. It's like planet. he's getting turned off. He's yeah. Moved, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that final shot, like, also, like, just the shot of, like, Teddy, like, looking at them. And, like, as, like it's just, ah, it, it's fantastic. It really is. Like, I, um, like, I mean, I won't lie. Like, when I was starting it today, I didn't really know what to expect. Because I have, um, you know, shout out to the Wabam boys. But, like, after, uh good friends of the pot here but like we have a group chat and after i logged in on letterbox they immediately dropped in the group chat and we're like adam welcome to the ai hive and it's like I, but i also have friends that like have like a three or a 3.5 exactly on yeah so i was like okay i don't really know what to expect here like i didn't fully expect you going to love it and to come out of the other end genuinely and again, this is new, I, I would say new for the pod, where not only me and Kara are both watching it for the first time, but I'm not only just loving a movie, but I'm genuinely, profoundly moved by it. Um, that's a different thing for Zillennial Canon, and I and I thank you for bringing it, because it, it's uh, it's quite a special movie, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I am honored to have brought it. It, it really... <laughs> Like I said, I've said it like a thousand times already. It's very much probably my favorite film. Like it, it tackles so many troubling but thought-provoking themes, and it really argues the audience to think about it. You know, yeah. it really, it's not. You know, it's both. You know, I think it's almost a borderline art house film in, in ways. Um, you know, it still has its, you know, sensationalized, you know, visual effects. It's a gorgeous looking film, but it's very, it, you know, you you really have to think about how you would handle it. But also, it just, it gives you a lot to think about while you're, when you're finished. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
yeah, I I couldn't have said anything better myself. Like I, it, it really is something that I'll I'll probably hold on to this movie for like quite a bit. Like I I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised upon rewatch. Um, I might bump it to like a five because like, I think I give it a four point five today on Letterbox. But like I didn't have any issues with it either. Like usually on the pod we will go into like issues we had with the movie, but I kind of yeah. don't have any. Like I. I, I have no, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, yeah, because I mean, I'm not the kind of person that like I don't really like to nitpick, and I don't like to, um, um, because I think flaws or like the idea, like the cinema sense culture is like so stupid and um, arbitrary and like just I don't know, whatever. It's it's really dumb. Um, so like if a movie can genuinely like make me feel and ponder and all that jazz, like that's. Uh, that's enough in my book. I don't care about anything else, really. It really, not to go all hyperbolic here, but I really think this is like one of the best American films. And I think it's one of those films that I really hope still gets, you know, it's starting to get reclaimed, um, but it's slowly but surely. I, the, there's a couple of really great articles that came out about it. Uh, one uh and the guardian posted a really good piece david ehrlich did a really solid piece about it um it it, it's one it's a film that i love having to hear reactions about i showed my dad this about a month ago for the first time and i said it's one of my favorite films i want to hear a reaction he sobbed by the very end of it and it was just like having that connection with a film and you know it's just it, it's what makes what it's like i said like with et it's what gets me gets me why i love film mm-hmm. yeah i mean i'm curious to hear from any listeners i don't like i don't know if any listeners have never seen this movie and they tuned out when i told them to cut it off but like um, if they <laughs> come back and review it for us because like i this is now a movie i would also like to hear reactions from like i mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? Good friend of the pod, uh, my best buddy slash enemy, Jeff Salamone. I don't think he's seen this movie, and I kind of feel like um, I would he would probably love it if I showed it to him. Like, because he's a little rascal that's younger than me. And <laughs> I'm usually like able to like say, "Hey, fucker, watch this movie." He's not, even, he's not even a millennial. He's Gen Z. He's fully he's, Gen Z. He's a fucking idiot. Is what he is. But like, <laughs> he um. But, no, I feel like if I told him to watch this movie, he would do it. And he would come back and be like, Adam, that was amazing. Um, so. I would actually be no. very curious to hear more Gen Z reactions to this film. Yeah. yeah. Especially the way, like I said earlier, about climate change. And it's not, it, the thing that makes it fascinating about climate change, and I know we're trying to wrap this up a bit, but I don't want to go on another tangent. <laughs> but it's it's so you know it's explicitly mentioned at the beginning but it's never really focused on in on it's never brought up explicitly again it's all in the subtext in the visuals and yeah. i think that's what makes it haunting to me um, yeah. with that with that in particular because it's like you know like shots like when monica and david are in the forest and you know new jersey is more like a rainforest you are, mm-hmm. you know, you're in, 
the flesh fair, which is, looks like kind of a desert-ish, you know, like, no, that's a foresty area as well. Yeah. But, but then you get to the, of course, Manhattan is flooded. And yeah. it's just that image is so striking. And like I said, with the, the Twin Towers there, it's even more eerie about just what kind of, like, the reaction of, like, those towers, you know, symbolizing, you know, piece of humanity and then you know months later after this film came out but it's just the way it's never explicitly brought up until uh, after the opening i just yeah. i love that little detail yeah it's i mean it's genuinely pretty damn incredible like i i i mean i'm probably gonna think about it for like the next week or so like i'm not even yeah. just saying that like i <laughs> Again, like, again, I didn't think I would be this moved by it. And I genuinely was. And that's always a really nice feeling to have, is to go in to something unexpectedly moved by it. Because yeah. that's, that's just, just the power of it. And that's, um, it's not, in fact, there's just, like, testament of time for this movie. Like, it it truly holds up. Um, uh, I, I'd love, is there a 4K release of this? Because if there isn't, I... There there isn't but um if you have a 4k player tv the regular blu-ray that came out uh, 10 years ago looks so great on a tv okay um, i've been using that i uh, i have the blu-ray the blu-ray is very good it has a lot of really interesting special features from the um the original two disc dvd um but it's just it's really worth i didn't talk about in detail because i don't know if, it's hard to like summarize all of it but I highly recommend looking up everything Spielberg talks about this film because his yeah. stories and the way he communicated with Kubrick about this film, it's just fascinating, but also just to hear him talk about Kubrick in a way that, you know, he, you know, he wanted, Kubrick was like, why are you living in LA? You got to come to where I live. You know, that's, <laughs> he's like, I don't want to go to LA. And he was like, the thing I forgot to mention is that when they were talking about this film and, you know, sending, um, concept art through facts and you know ideas Cooper was like i after i said i want you to put this in a, in a, in a room by itself and uh, you're the most secure this most secure room in your house and after you look at it i want you to burn it <laughs> wow he was yeah. that secretive and then uh, spielberg had it in his bedroom and his wife i believe kate capshaw uh at the time or i think they're still together they uh she picked up the fax machine uh, the third day after it, put it in another room, and he, he said, "I never told Kubrick that, that she did that because he's like, he was like I can't, can't, I don't want you to like have the facts going at like five in the morning." <laughs> that's so funny. I that's that's genuinely pretty amazing. Like, I just this friendship was so tight. I I would love to see like a documentary about like not necessarily like the making of this, but their friendship or like. Um, I'm sure there's like insight into it, but like a full-fledged documentary would be like oh, it'd be really amazing. Cool. Yeah. yeah, there's some really good YouTube videos. There's the one I mentioned, uh, Stephen and Stanley, which is about a 30-minute doc that was made around the time the film came out. It's pretty good, and uh, there's a ton of info. If you can get a hand on the this book, it as I said, uh, this book is amazing. It's a little hard to come by. I got it when. In, it was a couple years out of uh, it came out, but it's really detailed. It goes, but it has like all their uh, the 
um, it's a, it's the uh, from Stanley Kubrick to Steven Spielberg AI artificial artificial intelligence uh, it has tons of concept art and um, details from both Kubrick and Ian Watson and uh, Spielberg. It's just really interesting. Um, but there's so much information now. I highly re recommend listeners and you guys to check it out. There's more than I I would try to summarize, but. Uh, I, I can't. <laughs> um, yeah, that Steven and uh, Stanley video is like definitely going on my watch later on YouTube. It's, like, it's, immediately. Goofy, it's goofy. It's also, it's very 2001. And like, oh, they're showing the part that I always skip over of that video is that, oh, they talk about, oh, this is what artificial is going to look like in the future. Art, artificial, tell, it's like in 2001. So it's, yeah. just, it's very dated. But yeah. the part that's about them, it's really good. All the special features on the Blu-ray are amazing too. Okay. Um, yeah, so I mean, I... I mean, I do have a 4K TV, so, like, I... Because I watched it on Paramount Plus today, um, and I... It looked, like, good, but, like, with most streaming services, like, it... it Like, it's it's spotty at points, and yeah, I yeah. was kind of like, damn, this would look look amazing on... Like, I would love a 4K release, but the Blu-ray looks really solid. It's really crisp, okay. and it's... Uh, the colors looked really great on that disc. Yeah, I mean, if it ever gets a blue or a 4K release... That probably means there'd be like a fathom event for it. Um, oh God! Because I would. I said this to a friend the other day. Next time it's in theaters, I don't even care if it's a DCP. I'm gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I have to. It's one that I always have to see. Every time I see it, like anywhere, I'll I'll make the trip. Yeah. Well, that's how I um when I this weekend um it was announced that Scream, which is uh, oh yeah like, yeah my favorite movie of all time. And uh, it's getting its 20th anniversary re-release this October. My birthday weekend, which I cannot think of more better time for it to be released. And I believe that's the week also that it's getting a 4K restoration on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, so that will be one that I'm eagerly anticipating. <laughs> um, the day those Fathom tickets go on sale, I'll I'm get them the second they go on sale. Um, I bet that movie plays really well in the theater. I'm I'm so upset because like last of course with the pandemic last summer. Not that the pandemic's over, but like especially last summer at the height of everything, I didn't really uh I think the only movie I saw in theaters that summer was like Tenet. And uh but they were playing Scream at my local dollar theater like last September. And I was I, I kept like almost going. I was like, oh, I really want to go see it in theater. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I don't really feel safe. And I I didn't end up going and I've like been beating myself up over that. And now like hearing that this is getting re-released, I'm like, and it's having a trailer for Scream 5 attached to it. Oh, I yeah. I like just think ugh, I'm gonna shut up before I go off about Scream, <laughs> but I <laughs> real quick, what was the first movie you guys saw back at the theater? I was gonna ask. Um Mine was Scott Pilgrim. I went to the 10-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. Very, very comforting to see Maria Menounos and then to see uh, literally just Scott Pilgrim in, like, the loudest theater. Like, it was so nice. Um, Last summer at my local art house theater, shout out to the Inzion Theater here in Central Florida, um, they did a, for their reopening week, Last summer, they did a Hitchcock week, and um, I went with my buddy, Joey, and Zach, and we went to go see Rear Window, which I think it was Joseph's uh, first time seeing it, and mm -hmm. to see it wow. for the first time uh, in theaters, 
And also, it was very, like, spacious because it's a dine-in theater. So, like, they've moved all the tables, like, very well separated from each other. So we had our, like, little own area, like, away from everybody. And we were just able to watch through our window together. And um, even though it was, like, an older re-release, it was nice to, like, experience it and see his reaction for the first time. Oh, that's crazy. I'm sure that was... I never, I didn't get around to the Scott Pilgrim release either. So be, both of those, I don't feel like would love to have seen in theaters. I, I will echo. Oh, uh, sorry. So what were you saying, Adam? I was going to say, I do echo what Kira said, though, because the Scott Pilgrim Dolby release was fantastic. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. I was wanting to see that, but I never got around to it. I saw, so prior to the pandemic, the last film I saw in the theater was 1917. <laughs> and yeah. so I didn't see anything that the that uh, prior to pandemic in 2020. So I was just like I was out. The first thing I saw back was in the Heights, and then yeah. I saw after that I saw uh, uh, I saw something else and I'm blanking right. But I saw old recently and old like I loved it. <laughs> yeah, old was More great. Old stands here. Old stands. Um, so. yeah. I mean I. What do you call it? Like I like going back this year has been like, even though I've been since like last year, the um I don't think anything really matched seeing Fast Nine with like a packed audience. Oh yeah. Um and just like hearing the reactions and like just the communal experience again, it was just kind of unmatched for me. Um also seeing the Green Knight was just like very I uh, never got around to that. I've heard really good things. It's, I mean, I thought it was fantastic. I really loved it. Um, but, like, something about just seeing, like, such a, uh, I mean, it's such a art house piece. Like, I think it's yeah. just so fantastic. And, like, seeing it on the big screen, it was like, oh, wow. Like, movies. Love movies. Movies, right? Movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Back just, to the movie. <laughs> the movies. Um, um, I bought my tickets, um, because on the Regal app, I have Regal Unlimited, and I bought my tickets for, uh, I, like, I don't really care about either of these movies, but Free Guy and Don't Breathe 2 this Friday. And I'm like, I don't think Don't, I don't think Don't Breathe 2 will be very good, just because horror sequels are not always great, and it's not directed by Fetty Alvarez. It, and Free yeah. Guy, just innately, I, I'm just seeing it to see it, to get my money's worth, basically. Um, but, like, even so, it's like, double features are back. I'm, I'm going to the movies, you know, doing my thing, and that makes me happy. I, as I said earlier, West Side Story is going to make me cry. I'm already, oh, yeah. it's going mm-hmm. to just be like, oh, that kind of musical in the sc- at scope. I'm just like, Spielberg, just destroy me again. I'm just, <laughs> I said to someone, because my favorite Spielbergs, as I've already kind of hit, AI is my favorite one of his, but E.T., Close Encounters. It's those three that really get me. But then, you know, I, I love Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is, I said, or, uh, Jurassic Park is another, like, was a big, I was a big Jurassic Park stand, and I was yeah. watching, I watched The Lost World Jurassic Park again fairly recently, and that movie, I was not a fan when, when I first saw it. Kind of slaps now. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Um, I, I don't think it's, like, on the same level as the first one. No, but, but it's, but it's like, like, there's like, moments that I'm like, might be better but like there's i i think it's a completely different thing and i love that for it and i think like the moment with like julianne moore on the uh, shattering glass is like oh that's my favorite scene it's 
it's maybe one of Spielberg's top 10 moments. Like it's so fantastic. Um, I mean, I have a bias because Jurassic Park is like deeply formative for me and it's like very easily my favorite Spielberg just because I think it's like the best blockbuster of all time. Um, but I mean, looking at my, cause I was like looking at my Spielberg ranked letterbox list earlier and I hadn't, cause I didn't even try to put AI on there. I was like, I'm not gonna even tackle this today. Yeah. Um, but I, I was like, <laughs> what's that? No, you're gonna tackle it another day. It's a task yep. for another day. Yeah, literally. Like, I'm like, I'm <laughs> if I start thinking, like, do I like it more than Munich? Do I like it more than this? Like, I'm gonna drive myself crazy. Um, so I want to like sit with it for like let's sit with what we've heard. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> um, uh, but I am curious like where it ends up on my list because already it's like it's pretty high like mentally like for me. So it really is. It, you know, not I feel like I'm probably repeating at this point, but it's really like th- it really is like the epitome of his career for me. It's like that run starting from this. Uh, Minority Report is also really great. great um, Catch Me If You Can is really great. Um, and it's really, it's, it's AI and War of the Worlds, which I think are his bleakest films. Yeah, War of the Worlds is like, it's, I, that's remember, hard. I, I remember seeing it in theaters in 2005. Is that when it came out? Yeah, uh, yeah I remember going to an advanced screening of that movie <laughs> in 2005. I think I was like seven at the time. And I was like, oh, it's a, it's a blockbuster. It's a, no, that movie's depressing. Like that movie is like. It's, it's scary as hell. The, it, there's a shot in that that, it's so, that one, like this one, as I said earlier, is like a pre-post 9-11. That one is explicitly a post 9-11. Oh, absolutely. Like that, Um. well, that one scene where like the aliens first invaded, like they're all like. Disintegrating. Like, yeah. That's and, the one that gets me. That's when but, I just like, it breaks me down watching that. Yeah. I, and also like, you know, a movie or a moment is like formative when like scary movie tackles it. Because if you remember <laughs> yeah. Scary Movie 4, when they're all, like, it's, like, a giant iPod uh, shuffle. Like, shuffle, yeah. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, it's just so funny to me that, like, Scary Movie, like, tackled a Spielberg movie. That's just, like, so funny. It, it, <laughs> scary Movie, underrated in that it basically kind of formulated a lot of zillennials. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I I was actually talking about it with um because uh, I have a I have a millennial coworker, a Gen Z coworker, and then my manager is I would say he's a millennial probably, um and he we were all talking about scary movie the other day and like um it was just like funny to like talk about it like twenty years later and like I'm sure we'll cover it on the pod one day but like it's oh you have to so. Funny. <laughs> Well, Kira, have you seen Scary Movie? I haven't, no. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we have. You're destined. You guys are destined. One right. thing one thing that I'm terrified of, which, like, I know that Scary Movie is, like, on another level, but one thing I'm terrified of is when we eventually get into the, like, because I was talking to a friend about it the other day. Like, she's like, oh, like, have you done, like, Harry Potter? Like, And I'm like, no, like, we're kind of, like, steering away from it for now. Or, like, Disney Channel movies specifically because, like, it's just, like, too much. Like, it, like, takes up so much of the culture and there's, like, so much more of it. 
My biggest fear is when we get into like epic movie, teen movie. <laughs> like that's my biggest fear is when the pod I, goes in that direction. Well, we talked about it when um the Queer Quadrant pod was on. I remember during Narnia, mm-hmm. or maybe we talked about it when we were on there for Spider Man Three. I can't remember which, but we talked about um, the cultural impact. And regardless if you saw the movies or not, um, epic movie, like date movie. Uh, <laughs> yep. uh, uh, disaster movie was a big one. Vampire um, Stock was the one I remember seeing. Yeah, I that saw was, that one. That's that the only the, one of those I've ever seen. That was the last hurrah. Like after that one, they kind of died out. Yeah. And like, um, and the most embarrassing moment is I rented that through Netflix on demand, um, or not the Netflix disc. Yeah, <laughs> on Blu-ray, and my mom was like in the kitchen, like, "Why are you watching this?" It's like it's anti-Twilight. I was on that, <laughs> but like, I gotta say, I saw you guys were doing. You know, we gotta give credit where credits due to Twilight. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, it, it was the cultural moment. Um, yes. When I I saw vampires suck on a uh, seven twenty camera. Uh, <laughs> as like a <laughs> as like a twelve year old when it came out. Um, yeah. uh, and also, I remember this might be a false memory, but I'm pretty sure when I saw Eclipse, they played a trailer for Vampire Suck. Um, that sounds. About yeah, right. I think it was like around. Yeah. yeah it was like that was 2010. Well. Well, it was yeah. literally a month after Eclipse came out, like that. Mm-hmm. Um. But I can't remember if that's a false memory or not, seeing the trailer in front of Eclipse. But, like, I remember my mom was like, that looks funny. Like, <laughs> specifically in that voice, that looks funny. <laughs> she does that so often. And I, like a I carnival, shout- like a carnival barker. Well, shout out to my mom. Love my mom. But, like, I remember, <laughs> I love, uh, I remember seeing the raid two with her um, mm-hmm. when I was like 16, I think. Um, Because I was, like, just shy of 17, couldn't go see a R-rated movie alone. Um, She hated the Raid 2, by the way. Um, But they played it, for some reason, they played the trailer for A Haunted House 2 before it, the Marlon Wayans movie. And, like, every artsy trailer that played, she was just like, this looks stupid. This looks boring. And then they played a trailer for Haunted House. She was like, that looks good. I'll see that. (laughs) (laughs) so funny oh my god um all right uh yeah well, i was gonna say any any final um any final thoughts well okay i think i said my final thoughts like twice now so <laughs> great film masterpiece everyone should see it what is there to say other than it's incredible and perfect <laughs> like literally like yeah yeah just gonna should be reclaimed and yeah uh, um yeah uh gen z should watch it i need they need takes yeah yeah show this uh, to your gen z friends and siblings um i'm not even gonna try to get my sister to watch this movie um <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't trust her enough to do that you gotta, but, um, the specific types of gen z i guess yeah yeah, yeah. my I, I love my sister but uh she would no uh uh but joey i would uh shout out to joey i i i'm gonna text him immediately after recording i'm like yo bro mm-hmm. have you seen ai because like have him have him call in a voicemail with his uh reaction he'll just like go off on a tangent about something else but um <laughs> i'll i'll try um yeah 
All right. Uh, well, we are 30 seconds away from, which not including our ad break and our uh, theme song, we are 30 seconds away from this being as long as the movie. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, well, it was really a treat. Me. It was a treat. Thank you so much and thank for you having for bringing, me. Thank you for bringing us this movie, too. Seriously, it's like very special and nice. It yeah. really is. It's few films are as personal as this as this one for me, and uh, I always am thankful and you know overjoyed to share it with other people. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Is there? Do a... you have any? Sorry. No, I was going <laughs> to say, say the exact same thing. Yeah, <laughs> is there anything you want to plug, Joe? <laughs> I mean, uh, follow me on Letterboxd, uh, Joeco. J O W I K O 96. Um, and uh, I uh, don't always post on there, but I blog often. So cool. I'll link Check it out. in the description. Um, yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Adam underscore not Sandler. Uh, you can follow the Aggressively Okay podcast. We have been on a hiatus a little bit. Uh, since Joey did his production of uh, Nothing But Buck, which was lovely and fantastic and all the good things. Um, but uh, we will be back soon, so you can check out the feed over there and uh, watch this movie. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Garlic Emoji and follow us on Twitter at Zillennial Canon, on Instagram at the Zillennial Canon. Make sure you're like, sending us reviews guys that's really fun um and also voicemails we haven't plugged our voicemail in a while um when we when you see that tweet hashtag new profile picture you better get those phone calls in yes please i your first reaction better get those phone calls in it's literally so like refreshing and like nice to like get voicemails for mm -hmm. pods um even you know even if you don't want to talk about the movie just tell us about your day tell us about like your deepest fears and anxieties <laughs> tell us anything yeah. really we just yeah. like hearing from people what's your thought on climate change yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you combat it um <laughs> all right well there's no Bye, there's no way to <laughs> there's no <laughs> words there's no words <laughs> <laughs> Bye guys. <laughs>